Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. WABC New York and 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. We begin our report with Israel's cabinet voting to approve a deal with Hamas to release some of the hostages taken during the October 7th attack. At least 50 hostages will be released. Those released on both sides will be mostly women and children. The proposed deal was brokered by the U.S. and Qatar. Hamas would be incentivized to release more than 50 hostages with three Palestinian prisoners, mainly women and children, freed for every hostage who's returned to Israel. There would be a six-hour daily pause in fighting for four days, which could be extended, during which Israel's aerial surveillance would be halted. And 300 trucks each day would carry aid, including cooking oil and fuel for hospitals, into the Gaza Strip. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu vowed this won't be the end of the war, saying his country will continue fighting until it's eliminated Hamas. Israel says there are 236 hostages. Only four have been released until now, while Israel's military has retrieved the bodies of two others from Gaza and rescued one soldier who'd been taken captive. War has led to increased concern of terrorist threats here in New York City. The NYPD is ramping up security for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. As performers rehearse for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, the NYPD is preparing to protect it. Our heavy weapons teams, our blocker trucks, uh, officers deployed throughout the route. Rebecca Weiner is Deputy Commissioner of NYPD Intelligence and Counterterrorism. The department is stepping up security for this year's parade, in part due to an assessment from the New York State Intelligence Center, which points to an increasing terrorist threat to New York State since the war in Gaza began. Extremist and terrorist organizations across the spectrum making statements, generalized calls, to action, online rhetoric, real vitriolic rhetoric, some bias incidents, hate crimes. The state has recorded a 400% increase in threats against Jews, Muslims, and Arabs since October 7th. Governor Hochul detailed a new plan to prevent hate speech online, which includes earmarking $3 million for college campuses to have threat assessment and management teams on site. They have a simple goal, to find out what's driving hateful behavior and intervene early before harm is done. Back here at home, with New Yorkers still reeling from the first round of city budget cuts, including a dramatic cut in the number of officers, comes word of a second round of belt tightening. And this time, migrant services are on the chopping block. To be blunt, migrants arriving in New York City are in for a rude awakening. They may not be lodged in pricey midtown hotels anymore. And instead of culturally appropriate meals, they may be handed a lunch bag with a turkey sandwich. The city's budget crunch is that bad. 
But I know you, New Yorkers are angry when they hear about these efficiency cuts. Well, you New, York, New Yorkers, I want you to know I'm angry also. Are you going to have to close some of the shelters, some of the expensive hotels you're using in favor of the bigger congregate shelters? Nothing is off the <coughs> table. Nothing. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. Vice President Johnson has left the hospital in uh, Dallas, but we do not know uh, to where he has proceeded. Uh, presumably, he will be taking the oath of office shortly and become uh, the 36th president of the United States. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I think we should all take a moment to think about what it's like to be a turkey. Gobble, gobble, gobble. Gobble, gobble, gobble. Huh. I'm just a little turkey. Just cut the damn bird, boy. Do we? Can we just enjoy our Thanksgiving dinner? You think you're so great, sitting there all drugged up on your trampoline. You're the black sheep of this family. You call yourself a cox. Until you get right with Jesus, you'll never be nothing but a big black cox. Never thought I'd feel this way And as far as I'm concerned I'm glad I got the chance to say That I do believe I love you And if I should ever go Well, you can't.
one of the anthems, if you will, for the Rosenberg family when we get together, in the past at least. That's what Friends are for. What a great version. You know, Rod Stewart actually wrote and sang this song. If you ever saw the movie Night Shift, one of my favorite movies ever, with Henry Winkler and Michael Keaton, Shelley Long, and a host of others, the movie ends with this song. But it's the Rod Stewart solo version. These guys, Dionne Warwick, Elton John, Stevie Wonder, they remade it. And it was a huge hit. So oftentimes at Rosenberg parties, whether it's Sister Sledge, We Are Family, this song, even the stylistics, this is one of the Rosenberg anthems. You've got uh, a correction for me or, or I, what? Well, I just want to make sure you, you, you do know the song pretty well. It is was sung by Rod Stewart first. Yeah, in the movie Night Shift. Yeah, Burt Bacharach and Carol Bayer Sager. Oh, they're great. Wrote it. They are great, aren't yes. they great? Yes, yeah, they, they are. are. Great. That's why Dionne Warwick is, was, is yeah. friends with them. Uh, and what a good way to start your pre-Thanksgiving morning. Because all of us will be with family, friends coming up tomorrow. And I said this late in yesterday's show, and I mean it. You know, when these holidays come around, not to sound all deep, cliche, even annoying. But whatever the holiday is, I try to respect what it's for. In other words, Memorial Day, when you fat bastards are eating hot dogs and hamburgers and drinking beer all day and fornicating on the beach, I make sure that I walk away at least 10 minutes every year, and pay homage to the brave men and women who died for our freedoms. Same thing on Veterans Day and on this day, which I use two days to celebrate. I don't call it Black Friday. To me, Thanksgiving is two days. I do think an awful lot. I get very introspective about all the things I'm grateful for. Let's start right here from broadcasting from this morning start with john and margot katsimatidis two wonderful people big-hearted great people i am so thankful that john and margot katsimatidis own this station my bosses and are in my life chad lopez too chad lopez was the only guy in this town and i speak to other program directors all the time i'm being honest All the time, they'd love to have me now. And they could have had me six years ago. But none of them, not one of them, had the balls to pull the lever. Chad Lopez did. And part of the reason why it's important for me to succeed above and beyond my family and my legacy is to make sure that I make Chad Lopez look good. So I thank him. And all the guys upstairs, Emily Pankow, George, and everybody, But certainly a special thanks for me goes to my three guys who are here every morning, every morning early, making sure we put on the best possible show we can do. That includes executive producer Justin Ellick, who I think has turned into a tremendous producer. That includes my news guy, who I'll get to momentarily, and I think the best news guy in New York. I worked at 1010 Wins. I worked with Lee Harris. And um, Judy DeAngelis. I love Ben Maverick. Noam's better. Noam Layden is the best news guy in town. Listen carefully. Some of you guys out there are critics. He's the best news guy in town. And then, of course, the ultimate legend. How lucky am I to have 
Lou Rufino in these studios every day. And if you don't believe me, if you go to my Instagram account, and I compel you guys every morning to follow me, go to at Rosenberg.Sydney, at Rosenberg.Sydney, or my Facebook page, Sid Rosenberg. I'm not on Twitter X anymore. So Barrett Media, I told you this, they are the biggest media publication daily, weekly in our business, Jason Barrett. So one of his great writers, great writer, Ryan Hedrick, did a story on me just last week, which was published yesterday. And it reads, 77 WABC's Sid Rosenberg has only ever wanted to be himself on the air. You can read this whole thing. The link is in my bio, Instagram, Facebook, everywhere. But I do spend a bunch of time in this interview slash column talking specifically about Lewis. In fact, he transcribes the whole interview, but he starts off the column with about six paragraphs kind of summarizing what we speak about. And here is the third paragraph. Being a heavyweight in the news talk game matters to Rosenberg. Despite a heart-wrenching loss last year, partner Bernie McGurk dying of prostate cancer, Rosenberg has found success with Lou Ruffino, who has proven to be a valuable asset to Rosenberg's morning show. Sid Rosenberg recognizes Rufino, who worked alongside Bernie and Dynamis for many years, as a guy with a sharp eye on the news, a passion for sports, and musical genius. Rufino has seamlessly transformed into a sidekick role and transitioned, I should say, prompting noticeable changes in the show. Now, with an increased focus on jokes and more engaging lifestyle conversations, the show is firing on all cylinders, engaging New Yorkers on a different level with the unpredictability that all great shows have. And I go on to say that I miss Bernie every day, and I do. And he was a talented guy, and he was. And I love him and miss him and will always. But I like the way the show is now. And a lot of that goes to Lou, who doesn't get too caught up in the negativity of the politics and spends more time talking about music and sports and all the fun stuff that makes a morning show a great success. So you saw the column, Lewis. I told you last week I gave you heaps of credit. What do you think now? I'm trying to think of something funny and sarcastic to say, actually. But uh, all I could see are, you know, only I could think of was the two Fs that I saw in my name, which was... Yeah, they did spell your name incorrectly. I don't care about that. I I mean, you spent 30-plus years with Imus. I I don't remember in my time with Imus on and off for 18 years, you ever getting a lot of pub. It was Imus, it was Charles McCord, it was even Bernie and Sid at times, but you were the guy that was there every day over 30 years you were funny there. You did the music. You did everything. I, I don't remember you getting a lot of mention. Not, Since you joined me, your like picture that. has been in the New York Post, and half the story is about you. It, yeah, not like this. Uh, it was uh, it was awesome. That's that's all I can say about it. It's I uh, I really have a lot to be thankful for that I'm working here. That's it, and most of all, working with you. Oh, thank you. This, yeah, you're not uh, that far removed from working at WOR with that god awful morning show. Well, I'm 
I'm, I'm, I'm glad the way things worked out and, uh, working with Noam and Justin, who are both fantastic. They are both great. And, uh, I, I think we have a great show. We do and have a great show. You are, uh, a maniac in charge, and I always knew you were going to be this good. I, I, I will give myself credit there. Like, I'm not surprised. What, the way you said it, too, was perfect. Once you were unchained, this was what the result was going to be. Oh, I did do, say that. And you could do what you wanted to do. I, I, but I, I, I'm lucky I get to work with you every no, day. No, actually, I'm lucky to get to work with you. But but I did say that. Oh, thank you, Lewis. Thank you very much. I did say that the reason why the show was great is because this goes back to John, Margo, and Chad. They let Sid Rosenberg be Sid Rosenberg. Every program director, general manager, even guys I love, Mark Chernoff to this day is still like a father figure. He was a complete pain in the ass. Everything was a problem. Everything I said, everything I did, every time the phone would have his name on it, I would have an anxiety attack. <laughs> I swear to God. And I hated that. And John and Margo and Chad don't do that to me. Have they complained? Sure. But not often. They actually spend more time complimenting me on the show, and they've made my life easy. And they let Sid be Sid. And if you do that, you've seen the success. This so, the show that we do now is the same show I did in Florida. I had a producer named Steve Zemak. Now I've got Justin Ellick. I had a board op who was very, very funny, very creative. His name was Eric Langell. Now I've got the all-time best ever, Lou Rafino. I did not have a news guy which I've got now, making it even better with Noam Layden. I had people like Karen Curtis and Joyce Kaupman, but not a guy in studio like Noam. So, Noam, you've been a, a tremendous addition to it. I want you to know that. Uh, thank you. I mean, I'm, I can't tell you how thrilled I am to be here. And I'm, I'm serious when I say that because I'm just a lot of times sarcastic. But here I'm not. I know you're not. You are miserable at W.O.R. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, 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 and now, now that we're having all these uh, thankful moments and all these moments of honesty, now I feel bad I got you fired the first time. Yeah, well. I mean, it really it's... wasn't me. It was Craig Schwab and Bernie. And uh, Bernie can't defend himself. Of course. The guy's no, dead. No, no. <laughs> Just blame the guys that aren't here anymore. Yeah, that's, a, that's usually a good avenue to take. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah, poor, poor Bernie. All's forgiven. Don't worry. All is forgiven. And look how much fun you're having. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Well, you guys are great. You really are great. The story is uh, is real good. Check it out on my Instagram and uh, my Facebook. And then another story popped. It's unbelievable. And this one is from a guy named Baruch Green. Want to take a guess if he's Jewish? No, I'm taking a guess. <laughs> I'm going to guess yes. Nice call. And it reads, popular Jewish WABC host honored by Woodmere Shul on Shabbos. And he goes on to tell the whole story about me and Danielle spending Saturday with Dove Hyken, his beautiful wife, Shani, his son, Yoni, and, of course, Rabbi Bloomstein and his wife, Mimi. The whole Saturday story, which was a beautiful story. And I'm thankful for that. Listen, when all this happened in Israel, dating all the way back to October the 7th, I remember that morning waking up and, um, and I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't do anything all day. And the next day, Sunday morning, for folks that are real fans of mine, check my social media. I caught a video from my living room, maybe 8 a.m. Sunday morning, where I was just completely destroyed. And it hasn't gone away. In fact, I'll tell you this. A part of me is so happy that some of these hostages, at least it looks like, are on their way home. But a part of me is also upset. That for four days, we're not going to bomb the shizzle out of these animals. 
because I want to kill all of them. All of them. When I see a Queens assemblyman on New York 1 yesterday begging for a ceasefire, I think I want to kill him. Shut up already. Shut up. So now you got what you wanted. And, yes, innocents are coming home. That's a beautiful thing. And it seems like Netanyahu is really bending because he's offering a way to get more than 50 hostages home. What exactly is that? Noam Layden. Yeah, the internal pressure from Israel is intense to bring all of these hostages home, Sid. So what he says is past this four-day uh, agreement that would bring 50 hostages, all women and children, home, he would offer day by day another ceasefire for 10 hostages each day past that 50. So his aim clearly is to try to get everybody out of there. I read that uh, three of the initial 50 assuming they don't take the deal to let 10 out a day, three of the 50 are Americans. That's right. Including a little girl, yes? Yeah, that's what we're being told anyway. You know, all this, people are sort of, they say, okay, we've green-lighted this, the Israeli cabinet doing that while we were all sleeping, giving the green light to this early this morning. But um, they're on pins and needles because they say until it's done, they won't believe it. Wow. And if it is done... We get 50 back, and they get 150 back, right? Uh, the number they get back is yeah, somewhere in that neighborhood, and it's all women and children that are detained in Israeli prisons. And the number of hostages are about 236. At least we think that they already found two or three dead bodies, including that young girl. There's probably more dead that we don't know about. In fact, that's a very, very safe bet. But you've got to assume there's at least 150 still alive, yes? We don't know, and we don't know what shape they're in. I mean, they're going to release these hostages if this deal goes through, but we don't we don't know what kind of shape they how they've been treated, how right. they've been handled over well, the last six Well, do you think weeks. we get this uh, young, gorgeous, she is gorgeous, and I can only imagine what these animals have done to her. After blowing basically her arm off, you think we get Mia Shem back? Don't know. We don't yeah. really even know what the breakdown will be because we don't know what the breakdown of female, male, children, hostages actually are. We keep yeah. hearing different numbers. Well, I'll tell you this, folks, uh, as if you don't do it already, stick around all morning long because coming up at 930, we're going to have a young lady, 28 years old, who was dancing at that music festival where 260 people died her name is Natalie Sanandaji, beautiful young 28-year-old girl. She survived it. Somehow she got away, and she's back in New York, and she'll be live in studio coming up at 9.30 this morning. And I got to tell you, if I'm in my car right now, I'm not missing that, right, No. No. I want to find out how she got out because uh, it seemed like they had people everywhere. They did. She has a fantastic – I've heard her story. And it's a fantastic one, so you should hold on and listen for it. All right, she'll be here at 9.30. So, a lot of gratitude today, a lot of thanks today. We're going to have a great show. Hillel Fold, live from Israel, coming up at 6.45. Curtis Sliwa, Brian Kilmeade, Peter King. Joe Murray's got his big North Pole Christmas event going down Saturday in the and I'll be hosting that with Joe Causey. It's always a great event. He'll be here, and as I mentioned, Natalie... San Indaji. This is our last show till Monday, folks. Happy Thanksgiving. Keep it right here until 10. Sit and friends in the morning. I should ever go away. Well, then close your eyes and try. Feel the way we do today. And then if you can remember, keep 
Friends in the Morning, 77 WABC. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. Vice President Lyndon Johnson has left the hospital in uh, Dallas, but we do not know uh, to where he has proceeded. Uh, presumably, he will be taking the oath of office shortly and become uh, the 36th President of the United States.
John F. Kennedy assassinated 60 years ago today. And, you know, of course, I was born in 1967. I was negative four when JFK was murdered. And I always tell people the first time I saw grown men cry, believe it or not, was at Cappy's Bungalow Colony in upstate New York in Monticello when news spread that Yankee Captain Thurman Munson had died in a plane crash. I was about 12 years old, and I saw grown men cry. And I remember my dad said to me, this is nothing. People went to the streets when JFK died, and my wife, Danielle, loved him, and I ruined it for her. He said, he was a bad guy. He really was. He was great-looking, great-looking, and he was a man's man and all that. And we all have this kind of silly fascination with the Kennedys. But he almost got us blown up by Cuba. I mean, come on, folks. He was in bed with the mob. He had this beautiful Jackie Onassis as his wife. And I'm not here to cast any moral judgments. But if you think Bill Clinton was bad, nobody was worse than Kennedy. He had whores in and out of that Oval Office almost every day. Every day. They came walking in. I mean, this idea that he was like this unbelievably great guy is complete nonsense. Now, he died a horrific death, and he was handsome. I'm just telling you, folks, if you don't think looks matter in this country, even back then, you're naive. You disagree? No, you're right about all those points. The potential for him... He could have could been, have been right. a really but, he, but, but his father was a degenerate okay. Joe Kennedy. We, we know that with the fascination with the Kennedys, we know that he comes out of that it's overblown and some exaggerated how amazing the Kennedys are. I, I've never been uh, understood the, the no. complete fascination with it. But you cannot argue that d- that point in history completely stopped America. No, there's no question. No, everybody was people were crying in the streets. And, and I was not I was about to be born. My mother was pregnant with me. Oh wow. I figured that out yeah. when because yeah. I'm born in March of the next year. How about that? Yeah, and yeah. I I almost never forgot to ever bring that up with my parents because it just didn't dawn on me. But it was a big thing for them. A lot of sixties that's what that song is about. Like yeah, a it's a great song 60s. too. Yeah, and it's what about is the name of that song again? Abraham Martin and John. And it's talking about Martin Luther King Junior assassinated, right. Abe Lincoln Abe assassinated, Lincoln. John, John Kennedy. Kennedy. Who's the fourth? Uh Bobby. Bobby Kennedy. Bobby Kennedy. That's why yeah. he references yeah. Bobby at the right. end going over the hill to join the I mean look again, I, I was too young to remember that whole family. But it seemed like he was the only decent guy, but people tell me he wasn't decent. Bobby. I mean Ted was a murderer. He killed that poor girl in uh, Mary Jo Kopechny. Right? JFK was a complete scumbag. And Bobby seemed like an okay guy, but who even knows? I don't know. Who is without sin? Not me. Out of all of the presidents. Like, really, think about all these presidents. Right. You You might have to go all the way back to Lincoln. I don't know. Who the hell knows what Lincoln did too? I don't know. (laughs) You know? You don't. You don't know. But the fact is, he, he he. I, I, I'd have to read a lot more about him. I'm not the expert. But yeah, Kennedy seems so like he, he he was on the rise to being a great no, president. No, he, he was. No, he wasn't. He was on the rise okay. to to uh, causing himself and this country more pain. 
but uh, people love them. So, all right. Well, look at the look at the mess today is in, man. I'll I'll take somebody. Oh I'll yeah, another person. But 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 you're talking about Biden being the worst president in the history of the office. I'm not saying Kennedy was that. No. No. Okay. Wasn't perfect. Wasn't great. I mean, no. again, I'm not an expert. I, I, I just I don't think know. overrated from a historical reference because of the family, the good looks, all that nonsense, which means nothing. By the way, Susan Brown Otto up in Bethel Woods, thank you for the very nice Thanksgiving message. And my friend Craig DeFranch, I mentioned him before, great actor. I had the opportunity to work with Craig in a Mitch Comarda film with Craig and Peter Gordio and Jake Conaval and Armand Asante, experts in a dying field. And he's a super guy. He's become a very, very good friend of mine, great actor. So happy Thanksgiving to you too, Craig, on this day before. It is Wednesday. Time for my weekly Tunnel to Towers update. My main man, the CEO, dear friend of mine, Frank Siller. This week, folks, marks the beginning of the Foundation's Season of Hope campaign. As we approach the holiday season, Frank Siller and the Tunnel to Towers Foundation are continuing to assist families in need. With that in mind, the Foundation is launching its fifth annual Season of Hope. The holiday season is renowned for the spirit of generosity, and this year is no exception. Between Thanksgiving and New Year's Day, Tunnel to Towers will pay off dozens of mortgages for the families of fallen first responders, catastrophically injured service members, and military veterans. The Foundation wants to ensure these families are not forgotten and remind them they are not alone. Join the Foundation on its mission to provide mortgage-free homes to heroes and the families they leave behind by donating just $11 per month at T2T.org. Your contribution can significantly impact someone's life, whether big or small. 95 cents of every dollar donated goes directly to help-deserving families. Together, let's light up the lives of those in need and make this season truly special for everyone. That's right, folks. Never forget, join the Tunnel to Town. Foundation on its mission to do good, honor America's heroes. Donate just $11 a month. Do it today at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. If you've had an accident, trust Gabo Law, personal injury and medical malpractice attorneys with decades of experience who will provide the attention you deserve and deliver the best possible results in the shortest amount of time. Gabo Law has recovered millions for their clients and will be able to help you. But don't take our word for it. Read all of their five-star reviews from former clients on Google, Avvo, and Facebook. Call Gabo Law today at 800-560-0214 for a free consultation or email at Info at GoboLaw.com. GoboLaw, where winning is no accident. The digital dollar could give the feds control of your money. Get the digital dollar report. Call 1-800-862-6970 and also receive a $1,000 credit from Priority Gold to protect your money. Or just go to DigitalDollarReport.com. Please note, the information provided does not constitute financial or investment advice. This is Sid on Sports. Sponsored by Fearless Boilers on 77 WABC. Justin Ellick here with your bottom of the hour sports update sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com. 
To find a deal near you, they're the world's best-built boilers. Starting in the NBA, no local action last night, but the Nets will be in Atlanta tonight for a uh, 7.30 p.m. tip-off against the Hawks on the ice. No action last night either, but the Rangers, Islanders, and Devils will all be back on the ice tonight. For the Hockey Blue Shirts, they'll be meeting the Penguins in Pittsburgh for a 7 p.m. puck drop, while the Devils simultaneously get underway in Detroit against the Red Wings. Half an hour later, it'll be the Islanders welcoming in the Philadelphia Flyers for a 7.30 p.m. puck drop there. And with Week 12 set to get underway tomorrow and the Jets quarterback room in shambles, never a bad time to check in on the status of quarterback Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers said via the Pat McAfee show that if he gets his wish, he will be back on the practice field in two weeks, only three runs uh, removed from the surgery. How the hell does Pat McAfee, who I watch every Saturday, although I stopped watching lately, ESPN Game Day, ESPN College, how does Pat McAfee get Aaron Rodgers every week? I, they're just buddies. They're buddies? Yeah. Well, Pat McAfee used to be a kicker for the Colts. Right. Uh, in the NFL, so uh, he knows Rodgers, I guess, well. So every just... kicker in the league is friends yeah. with a former Green Bay Packer quarterback? I don't get it. That's not what I said at all. No. Yeah. Well, I don't understand I just, how the I kicker said... for the Colts becomes, <laughs> if he was a kicker for the Packers, that would make sense. I don't know. They're just friends. Like, I don't know. They well, both play in the NFL. It annoys me. I, I don't know. know. How are, you know. I don't want to hear any more about Pat McAfee. I don't even want to do this story. It's just nothing else is going on. No, I understand. And so, yeah. you know. Like, don't bring Rodgers back, obviously, if you're the Jets. It's like a stupid thing to do. Well, you're 4-6 and six right now. Yeah. And the Dolphins, they beat you on Friday. They go to 8-3. and three. You go to 4-7. and seven. You're running out of time. That's you so may be better served Rodgers. waiting for Rodgers to come back in 2024. When, by the way, the Jets get Devontae Adams. There you go. So, now I'm talking business. Now you really are. Are we on the fan? Oh, hey. Sports sponsored by Pete Morgan at Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTakeless.com to find a dealer near you. They're the world's best built boilers. I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Just for those who may have missed it, we are talking about 46 days. Israeli women, children, babies, infants, and elderly people, and men and women as well, are being held by Hamas for 46 days uh, in inhumane conditions, in direct violation of everything that is right and human. We will start seeing some of them back. But I can assure you that the aim of our war against Hamas is to dismantle Hamas. And that what we're seeing now is just one milestone in the bigger scheme of things to get an opportunity to get hostages back. And then we will continue fighting Hamas until we eradicate them. Don't ask me what you know is true. Don't have to tell you I love your precious heart I I was standing You were there Two worlds collided And they could never tear us apart One of my favorite songs in excess, Never Tear Us Apart. Something tells me, and maybe Big Mix 
birthday today, Lewis, or heavenly birthday, Mick Hutchinson. What's the deal with him? Michael Hutchinson. Michael Hutchinson, yeah, that's yeah. right. Well, you're friends. You called him Mick. Yeah, I called him Mick. Sure. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, sadly when he uh, committed suicide. Oh, okay. Today. Hung himself with a belt. It was asphyxia during, a, um, during sex. Yeah, erotic. No. Uh, you know, erotic. That's what How I'm about about. stupid? Yeah. Well, that's before erotic, right? <laughs> <Stupid> erotic. <laughs> uh, also, the great Corey Zelnick, who I love dearly, and I do wish Corey, his beautiful wife, Jessica, his great daughter, Bailey, and uh, son, Max, the happiest of Thanksgivings. He tells me, um, Justin, that it's not about friendship, that Pat McAfee pays Aaron Rodgers yeah. A million dollars. Yes, he a does get paid. A million. He does get paid, yeah. A million. Right. I, I would imagine he gets paid. It's a weekly appearance. Uh, that's a lot of money. Of a course million. It is. Of course it is. Yeah, so every Tuesday, that's the deal. All right, so you heard there from uh, Jonathan Conricus, Lieutenant Colonel and IDF spokesperson, and he said what I wanted to hear, which is, look, the hostages will come home, and as soon as they get home, we're going to go right back and kill these people. That's the bottom line. This is not going to be a four-day pause or a ten-day pause where the war is over? At least that's what Conrica said. Let's go to Israel. Hillel Fuld joined us a couple of weeks ago. His brother Ari murdered by Palestinians about five years ago. Now Hillel has become a huge voice in the state of Israel just outside Jerusalem on this Wednesday morning. Good morning, Hillel. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm great. I was um, humbled when you and uh, Judah Honickman actually contacted me and said, so Hillel enjoyed his appearance on your show last week so much, and he was shocked to see how popular you were. <laughs> you actually did that say that, true. yes? A ton of people. ton. In Israel or back in the States? I mean, the Internet is global. I got a ton of feedback on you know, just from friends around the world. Wow, that's awesome. Well, listen, I, I really want your opinion because you're in Israel. You're a huge voice for Israel. And your brother, again, and I'm so sorry to say this, was murdered by Palestinians a couple of years ago. And you've carried the torch in brilliant fashion. The hostage release. I, I had somebody on yesterday, Judah, in fact, who doesn't like it. He wants to continue to bomb these people, kill these people, basically at the cost of anything. Then I had Siggy Flicker on, and she said, look. Israelis value each and every life so much. We'll give them a thousand soldiers. We don't care. We want our people home. How does Hillel Fold feel about this? First of all, like most things in life, there's nuance here. And, you know, black and white is not real life. That's number one. Number two, uh, let's not forget the personal aspect here. I can't pretend that the, the uh, nightmare that I've, um, you know, of Ari's murder getting out has not been in my head for the past 24 hours. Uh, thankfully, he's not on the list, but, you know, that's, that adds a whole different level of complexity in terms of just emotional, you know, well-being. Um, but the truth is, you know, there is nuance. In other words, I feel strongly that we're making a bad move from a strategic perspective and that we're incentivizing them to, you know, kidnap more people. And we're giving them a feeling of victory. So that eats at me. And, it, you know, it's horrible. On the other hand, we are a compassionate nation who values life you know, above everything. We need to understand when, when we say we, we value life above everything, you know, anyone who knows anything about Judaism knows that Torah is our book of, of life. This is how we live life. And almost everything in the Torah, almost everything in the Torah is canceled to save a life. 
it's, it's the most important value in Judaism. And so if we could save one life, then, yeah, we need to do what we need to do. It's, it's as hard as it might be. And so the thought of having 50 or even 100 hostages come back to their family and to the embrace of their, you know, brothers and sisters and parents and grandparents, you know, just, just the, the morale that it will cause, you know, in the country and how we, we finally feel like, you know, we're achieving something. I think, you know, it's, it's a deal that we have to, we have to agree to as, as hard as it may be. But I think you made a really good point, which is they kind of win. I mean, they did this for that reason. They, I mean, some of it was selfish. They took young girls to rape them and have fun. And I'm terrified to see how some of these young girls will look like when they come home and what they've been through. I don't even want to hear about it. But most of it was strategic. Let's take these hostages so somewhere down the road we can stop the war, we can get our people out, we can pause it. So if you really think about it that way, well, yes, every life is important. And if it was my child, believe me, Hillel, I'd be at the front of the line celebrating. From a war standpoint, don't they win today? Right. So, so again, we have to separate between emotions and, you know, strategy. Emotionally, of course. I mean, I see the celebrations and it eats at me, you know, from the inside. It, it's horrible. But is that is that the way to, you know, to manage a war based on what our enemies will feel and how they will feel about it? I don't think that's the way to run a war. And so we need to do what's right. Uh, and what's right for us is to bring our people back. I mean, you know, when, when the government was voting for it last night and, and several parties announced that they were not going to support it, all that I could think of was these families, these poor families. What, what is the government going to tell them? I'm sorry. We had the chance to bring your loved one back and we didn't do it. How, how do you tell a family that? So, it's, listen, I, well, you know, all I can say is thank God. Well, well how, how you tell a family that uh, is what America is, does, too. I mean, I hate to tell you this, but I remember uh, Kayla Miller. She was a young, beautiful American girl who was kidnapped by ISIS. One of these animals actually made her his American wife and raped her every day. And my friend Stephen um, Solowitz, who was also uh, taken, his mother Shirley talks to me still to this day, Sutloff, I should say. And both of those families reached out to Barack Obama and said, we'll give them money, we'll do whatever it takes, we want our kids home. And Obama said, and I quote, we do not negotiate with hostages, with um, terrorists, I should say. Now, he lied because he made that awful Bo Bergdahl deal down the road, but there are governments who just draw the line at negotiating with terrorists, and the question becomes, what does 236 people mean when you're talking about thousands and thousands out there to kill us in this war? Well, well first of all, it's important to mention that Barack Obama doesn't negotiate with terrorists. He just hands, he just hands them billions of dollars with no negotiation, so good for him. Right. But uh, the reality is, you know, I want to believe that Israel has the ability to act once we do release these, these prisoners. Uh, and if, you know, any of these, and I'm sure many of them will, return to terror We'll do what we need to do, and we have the you know intelligence, we have the ability, and that will happen. So I do, I do kind of you know I, a little bit take comfort in that. Uh, oh, well, yeah, but, but, that but, but according to what I'm reading, these are not going to be the guys or terrorists that they're letting out. These are going to be women and children, Palestinian women and children. At least that's what we're reporting here in the United States. Let me uh, let, let me just, if I may, correct you there. Uh, your your premise, if I may, is a little bit. Uh, I don't know, mistaken in that you're assuming that Palestinian women and children are not murderers and terrorists. I I need to remind you that Ari's terrorist was 16 years old. I agree. So we have women and children in the Palestinian, you know, uh, uh, you know, society that are full blown terrorists and murderers. And the truth is, from what I've read, that we're not letting out, 
you know, actual murderers uh, who have blood on their hands, but we are letting out several people who tried to have blood on their hands. So it's not ideal. But again, we need to bring our people back. We can't, you know, as, as hard as it is to see them celebrating, and it, it is hard. It eats at me, I'm telling you. But, uh, you know, you just got to do what's right, and you need to ignore, you know, how they feel. And they, 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 they lie to their people. Oh, yeah, they didn't, the, the IDF didn't achieve anything militarily. Give me a break. We completely took over Gaza. It's, it's ridiculous. These people lie when they breathe. They, they open their mouth, they lie. So, you know, it is what it is. We've got to do what's right. What is uh, the morale like there in Israel? You know, tomorrow, of course, here in America, where you live, you live in New Jersey, uh, we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving. I don't think you guys celebrate Thanksgiving in Israel. Maybe you do. I don't know. But what is the morale like now, uh, six, seven weeks later, the possibility of hostages coming home? Or do you feel like it's different? Or do you feel like Israelis are just as angry today as they were on 10-7? So it's, it's a very complicated thing. I mean, on the one hand, we're, we're you know, more unified than we've ever been. Uh, on the other hand, you know, I don't think anyone uh, thinks this is an easy deal to strike. I think we're all torn. Um, and so but we're in it together. That's the difference. I think, you know, just a few months ago, there was an unbelievable divide in, in Israeli society. Now we're unified, uh, you know, stronger than ever. And so, yeah, we're going through this together. It's hard. It's, you know, it's tough. And it's not something that you know, most nations or countries have to deal with, but at least, you know, we're in it together. So I, I do think, you know, there's a lot of sadness, there's a lot of mourning, but I do think there's cautious optimism that uh, we know what we need to do. We know we're going to do it. We're going to win this war. Gaza and Hamas will be no more the way it was. It won't be a situation where Gaza, you know, is right up to our border and they're accumulating sophisticated weapons from Iran day in, day out. That is not a reality that's going to return. The, the status quo is over. And so that gives us, a, you know, a reason to hope and to be optimistic. Uh, and I just hope and pray that the government, you know, keeps their word. And as soon as this deal is over, we, you know, go straight back into doing what we need to do, which is obliterating Hamas from this earth. Uh, and anything less than that, as far as I'm concerned, you know, is some, is, is lost. Agreed. Hillel Fold, if you're in Israel right now looking to start up a business, call my friend Hillel Fold today, the brother of Hiro Ari Fold. And I don't know about you, but, you know, when I hear that uh, the Israelis and the Americans are negotiating with the leader of Hamas, I don't get it. Like, wh- whoever that guy is, why is he alive why is he negotiating? I know he's probably hidden away somewhere in Qatar or one of these countries, but what do you mean negotiating with Hamas? we got to kill every one of them. We killed the number two. Why not kill the number one? So, uh, you know, Sid, i gotta, I got to, if I may for one second, uh, put on my observant Jew hat and say that, you know, if we look at this entire war, in fact, if we look at the state of Israel through a human logical lens, we're going to lose our minds because none of it makes any sense. You know, they talk of occupation. We haven't been in Gaza since, in, you know, 2005. There's no occupation. It's one big lie. And so if we look at this from a human perspective and a logical perspective, we're going to lose our minds. So we need to, at least this is the way I look at it, say, you know what, this is, this is God pulling the strings. I don't know why he's doing what he's doing, but at the end of the day, we know the ending. It's going to be a good ending. Um, but I, I, you, everything you're saying is true. I, I don't know how to explain it. The whole thing is ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Counter-logical. Yeah, it's crazy. you're right. So Saturday I spent the day in a shul in Woodmere. I know you're familiar with Long Island. My dear friend Dove Hyken, who spent the better part of four decades as a Brooklyn assemblyman, he invited me to his shul, and the Rabbi Bloomstein uh, brought me up to the Torah, had an aliyah. I spoke at the Kedush afterwards, and then I actually had lunch at the rabbi's house. It was a beautiful, beautiful day. And what arose that day, Hillel Fold, was a serious conversation about bringing this show, Sid and Friends, in the morning to Jerusalem. 
Now, as proud a Jew as I am, and I think right now I'm about the biggest voice in this country for you guys out there, I've never been to Israel. And I really want to go, and I think now is a perfect time to take this show and show real solidarity. But people have said to me, Sid, I wouldn't go now because it's too dangerous. Others have said, dangerous, I feel safer in Jerusalem than New York City. You tell me, Hillel, is it too dangerous or should we come? It's absolutely not too dangerous. I think this is the safest place for Jews in the world right now. Uh, I have a I have a guest suite open ready for you, so you could stay by me. But you know, really, I mean, this is it, it absolutely you, you know better than to believe what you know what people say and what the media depicts. It's it's safe. You're gonna you know you're gonna love it. I don't know when the last time you were here, but you know it's never absolutely safe for Jews. And oh, you're never here. Well, never. Okay. No. You need to come for sure. I no, mean, I, don't. I don't know. I'll just say I, I don't. I don't. I know how we're getting out of this. I know we're going to win this war. I don't know how Jews around the world are going to get out of it. I mean, it's it's pretty scary times over there. So I, I would definitely recommend you come visit. Last 30 seconds, again, as a guy living in Israel. And, and you talk about me. You were surprised by my popularity. You're a rock star, Hello, Fold. You're the man, your whole family. Uh, how do you feel, Thank Benjamin? You. You're welcome. How do you feel Benjamin Netanyahu has done up to this point? I don't mean October 6th when clearly Israeli intelligence got taken by surprise. Since the war started, how would you rate Netanyahu's performance? Well, I'll first start with a disclaimer and say that I'm, I'm fundamentally opposed to talking about politics in the middle of a war. Uh, I don't you know, talk about it on social media. I don't think it's the right time. Having said that, uh, you know, I didn't vote for Netanyahu. I'm not a big Netanyahu you know, fan, but uh, I think that there are not many people that I could think of who would be able to withstand the immense global international pressure that's being applied to, to us right now, to Netanyahu, you know, to cease fire and to all of the pressure that he's, he's withstanding – uh, to me, I believe he he is better equipped to do that than almost any other politician in Israel. You're the man. Hello. Listen, I want to wish uh, you and your family out there a happy Thanksgiving. We'll do a lot more of these conversations, I promise you, because uh, my fans love when you come on as well. So we'll do it again, if not next week, the week after. But happy holidays. Stay safe. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You're the man. Hello. Fold right there as you wrap up. What was a really terrific hour number one, big hour number two about to come your way, folks. We're going to talk to Curtis Sliwa and Brian Kilmeade, but not before, some more in excess. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D.
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You're my best friend. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. For my friends. 77 WABC. Well, we see people sleeping on the street. Our desire has always been in a layer approach. The first most important layer is not to have children and families sleeping on the street. But I've made it clear after 100 and f- over 140,000 migrants and asylum seekers, of course, that is just continuing to increase. Thousands are still coming in uh, each week. Uh, the visible signs of this crisis is going to start to show itself. They were big at Woodstock, you know. And the name of this song with Thanksgiving coming up tomorrow is Thank You. And I do want to take a moment to thank my next guest. You know, nobody ever makes decisions for me on this show, ever. I mean, sales price every now and then, and I yell at them, and fine. But in terms of guests and what guests come on and what days, that's all on me. And I decided months ago... That uh, for some crazy reason, I'm going to put Curtis Sliwa on this show every day. Every day. Because I know he's great. I mean, I always talk about the talk radio landscape today. And it is pathetic compared to what it was. When I started in this business, and you had people like Howard Stern, Don Imus, Rush Limbaugh, God, even Scott Shannon, who's an asshole, but on terrestrial radio, It was just a different time, and Curtis is one of those throwback guys. He was great then. He's still great now. And he has been tremendous for me through this whole migrant illegal crisis, him and I hosting rallies together because of him, all because of him, town halls together. And I really believe he provides a tremendous service to New York, not just with his show, which is great at noon, but my show every day. And I'm happy he's going to run again for mayor. And I'm making it very, very clear that despite my friendship with Adams, which is less and less every day, to be quite frank, Curtis Sliwa is the right guy to run this city. You can say what you want about his red beret and his red jacket. That's stupid. To me, that's like bashing Donald Trump for his tweets. You either have the policy and the heart to do it, or you don't. Trump does. So does Sliwa. Oh, my God, I just compared Sliwa to Donald Trump. But it's true. Yeah, and listen, every now and then he gets a little carried away. I got to calm down guys who want to kill him. That's fine. But for the most part, this guy is a huge asset to this show. So thank you very much, Curtis. No, no, no. Thank you for all the times people have come upstairs to this very studio with armies 
wanting me fired, wanting me suspended, wanting me to do retractions, telling you, Sid, why do you have him on in the morning? Take him off in the morning. Don't give him that opportunity. And yet you stood by me through thick and thin, and you said to me, just make sure when you break news here, you're right. Because if not, I can't deal with it. I well, can't. And the man upstairs, John Katsimatidis, said, if you're wrong, you're gone. And, and that, been, that's an agreement. Uh, and you've been right like 98% of the time. I mean, you're wrong about Eric Ulrich and a few other things. But for the most part, you've been right on the money. And I will say this. You've been real right about the mayor. Now, look, personally, you don't like him. You ran against him. He said some nasty things about you, called you a racist. I would never forgive that either. So I, I appreciate where you're coming from. I don't have that with Eric. He and I have dying together. Personally, I don't think he's a bad guy at all. You, it, you, it comes from a different place. But in terms of what you've said about him politically, you've been dead right from day one. Well, just think about it. It used to be I'd walk the streets, ride the subways. People would say, are you going to run again? Now, all of a sudden, people are saying, please, please run again. Like Trump. Yeah. The, the, the difference is like night and day. Let me let me give you the stats. They just came out, and Eric Adams is not going to be having a good Thanksgiving. I'm telling you that. March of 2022, 61% approved of what he was doing. 24% didn't. And remember, people were telling me, give it up, Sliwa. You know, you, you just, yeah, you're a sore loser. You know what the figures were as of yesterday? 54% disapprove of Eric Adams, only 37% approve. That is a dramatic turnaround. That is. That is a um, that is a Mike Tyson fall from grace. I'll ask you this, if you had to pinpoint what it is. I mean, FBI investigations certainly don't help. He can minimize them all he wants, and I play by the rules, and that may be true in Eric's defense. But do um, you point right to the illegals? Is that the the issue? Is that why those numbers have fallen? Or do you think it's cumulative over a bunch of things, crime, FBI investigations, illegals, all those things? No, I think the tipping point is the illegal aliens. Look, yesterday, again, at his once-a-week press conference, he can only handle a press conference once a week, off-topic uh, questions. Oh, my God. What, you can't chew gum and think at the same time? You're the mayor. He said, don't yell at me, yell at D.C. Well, what is that going to do? You're the mayor. You got to stand. You you should have stood up to them from day one. Now, check this aspect of the poll. More than 7 in 10, 72%, think Adams did something wrong in the FBI probe. Now, that is a really bad sign. So you look at the crime. You look at all the exodus, the people who continue to pick up and leave. You see a guy who said we're going to be down to 29,000 cops, and you got Fortune 500 companies here saying, and why are we staying here? If things are actually going to get worse, why would we want to make, uh, make our stake in New York City? We're being enticed to come down to Texas, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee. Why would we stay here? You know, yesterday, Rudy Giuliani was on the show, and he was the mayor, and hopefully you will be the mayor. And both of you guys are critical of Adams, and deservedly so. And I said, Rudy, let me ask you this. If you were still mayor, what would you do now to try to limit, if not stop, the crisis? And he said, Sid, it's not that hard. I would literally put these people back on the buses and send them to Washington, D.C., or send them home. And I said, but Eric Adams keeps saying that's illegal. 
He said, Sid, stop. What I would do, let me say it again, I would put these people back on the buses and send them to Kamala Harris's place, to Joe Biden's place. They brought them here. You can have them. Now, is he saying that because he's out of office and it's easy to say it? Is it illegal? Would you do the same? Oh, absolutely. From day one, I would have said, hey, you can take a bathroom break here at the Port Authority. Take about an hour to stretch yourself. It's been a two-day ride from Texas. We're going to give you a nice box lunch, and we're going to ship you right back to the National Mall between the Washington Monument and the Lincoln Memorial, and they could put up tents there for you. So why wouldn't Eric Adams do that? He's had ample opportunity to do that. He keeps saying, no, I'll tell you why. And this goes back to what he said with Will Cain on Fox News on Friday night and why Eric Adams is 1,000% complicit in this mess. Easier to blame Biden and the national government now because when he could have done it, he was yelling and screaming, not us, we're good people, we're a sanctuary city. How does it look now? There is no law that says we're a sanctuary city. There's nothing on a piece of paper that says we're a sanctuary city or Hochul a sanctuary state. This is all a myth. They keep perpetuating this. And yet, this is what he said yesterday. This this shows you where Eric Adams' mind is. He said, oh, illegals will be sleeping in the streets. Believe it or not, there are migrants saying we want to sleep on the streets. What illegal alien who's in the Milford Plaza at $400 a night, who gets three squares a day, con arroz trailer, beans and rice, chuletas, pork chops, mango, mafungo, anything they want from Grubhub at our expense, they get health insurance, they get iPhones, they get smartphones, they get everything is going to say, you know, Eric Adams, you, you know what, I want to sleep in the streets in order to stay in New York City. This guy is insane. <laughs> so, so oh, take ask. my room here at the Milford Plaza. I want to sleep in the streets downstairs on 42nd Street and 8th Avenue. Well, talking about sleeping on the streets, uh, did your guys, the Guardian Angels, you know I love you guys, yeah. Sal, all you guys, did you guys check on our friend in Coney Island yesterday? Afternoon? Yes, Yo- Yolanda Mendoza. Not difficult to find her. She was a block away from Nathan's famous Coney Island, Stillwell Avenue, underneath uh, the uh, what used to be the Half Moon Hotel. By the way, if she was right there, that puts her about nine blocks away from John Katsimatidis' beautiful Ocean Drive buildings where I've stayed, apartment 22A. Maybe we should um, throw her in one of his apartments for a couple of weeks. Well, she's in good hands now. We took her to the hospital because, as you know, she's nine months pregnant. She has to deliver. So we were able to convince the hospital officials, look, It's going to be pouring rain, as it was yesterday. We escorted her to the hospital. We'll keep you informed of the birth of her child. But can you imagine this? An American, 22-year-old Yolanda Mendoza, originally from Florida. She would have been better to say, I'm a Venezuelan. Yeah, you're you're right. You're better off saying something like that. Right, and she'd be at NYU Hospital (laughs) right now, right, in the maternity ward at our expense. She'd be getting a private room from Dr. Mark Siegel. Uh, Tell me this. If you were the mayor today... Would you be, and I want an honest answer, Yes. would you be seriously concerned about a terrorist attack in the next two days, especially with the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, or do you believe, like I believe, they don't pick these days to do that, and that's a lot of talk? We know what the terrorists want, your people, Jews. Aren't that many Jews at the Thanksgiving Day Parade? That's like for the rest of middle America, the wasps and others. They're going to try to pick a location, a date, time, and place 
where, in the words of Ramsey Yusef, who engineered the first attack of the World Trade Center, when he was in chains and shackles, and he's in Florence, Colorado now, Supermax in Colorado until he dies, they asked him, why did you hit the World Trade Center? Because that's the place we could kill the most Jews. Is that right? I, exactly. thought, I thought they hit that World Trade Center, to be honest, because they, they figured if the buildings fall down, which is what they really intended to do, not to crumble to the ground, but kind of fall forward, that would destroy the whole financial section of New York and basically which cripple the U.S. economy. It's controlled by the Jews. That's true. Remember, that's what they believe. Now, as mayor, first thing I would do, I would uh, go after Bill de Blasio and his crooked wife, Charlene. I would have them. Oh, my God, you just got me uh, aroused. I would have them arraigned <laughs> and indicted uh, for stealing $1.5 billion of Thrive money that was never used for all the emotionally disturbed people that I deal with that you see on a regular basis on my Facebook post, my Twitter post, my Instagram post, my TikTok uh, post. I would make sure they go to jail. Number two, I would move to prosecute Andrew Evilized Cuomo for the deaths of all the elderly people in the nursing homes under his direction, who's had the hubris, who's had the coolions to say that he wants to run for mayor now. I thought Eric Adams was his very dear friend. Well, he's clearly stabbing Eric Adams in the back, and all those guys are scumbags, you know that. Andrew Cuomo is the biggest scumbag God ever created, but it does bring up an interesting question. You're going to win the Republican primary if today, today, Eric Adams goes up against a guy responsible for 18,000 deaths. 18,000 people died because he was taking money from these hospitals. Who wins today, Adams or Cuomo? And remember, responsible for no cash bail. Right. And the legalization of the recre recreational use of, of marijuana that is out of control. And, and, and also the guy responsible for shutting down all of our mental institutions. Yes. So all these crazy people are in the streets today. I mean, he did enough damage for 10 governors. But with all that said, if the race is today, the election, Adams or Cuomo, Curtis Lewa, who wins? I think Cuomo, which is unbelievable. Hmm. And I think it's going to be Sliwa versus Cuomo. Cuomo. I, want, I want him so bad. I want to destroy Andrew Evilized Cuomo. Andrew has fled to Italy with all of his daughters. Let me tell you something. You can run, but you can't hide Andrew Evilized Cuomo. Andrew, ascendeme to siu provienos And like your father Mario you are, you can keep coming back to WABC. You had the Quinella five times, five times under different circumstances here in the house of Sid Rosenberg and Curtis Lewa. You crashed and burned the last time with that Schifosa, that Svachimoso Scaramucci. Let me tell you something, Andrew Evilized Cuomo, the wrecking team of Sid Rosenberg and Curtis Lewa are going to work to drive you the hell out of here. Take up your residence in Italy with half of the bag, Murphy, and stay there with Comrade Bill de Blasio because we're coming after you.
If you had an accident, trust Gabo Law, personal injury and medical malpractice attorneys with decades of experience who will provide the attention you deserve and deliver the best possible results in the shortest amount of time. Gabo Law has recovered millions for their clients and they will be able to help you. But don't take our word for it. Read their five-star reviews from former clients on Google, Avo, and Facebook. Call Gabo Law today, 800-560-0214 for a free consultation or email them at info at gabolaw.com. That's G-A-B-O-Law.com. Gabo Law, where winning is no accident. 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. When the big band joined the band, classic Bruce Springsteen, 10th Avenue, freeze out, big man long dead, but his, his kid or his nephew was in the band playing sax now. But we played this song this morning, Lou Rapino specifically. There's a shout-out to my dear friend, Little Stevie. Also, Silvio Dante in The Sopranos is on the show quite a bit. Stephen Van Zandt, Stephen turned 73 years old today. Is that right, Louis? Yes. Yep, saw him on the 60 Minutes piece over the weekend. It was pretty good. What was Jan talking about? He was talking about all his uh, platforms. You know, they just did a did a little profile. Just on him? him. Yeah. Well, he's and, got that uh, underground garage on Sirius XM. That's a big deal? Yes. Oh, the shows, of course, Sopranos, Lilyhammer. Lilyhammer was a big-time success. Yeah, I got I to gotta watch that. That was the first big Netflix show, and he was great in that. And how he's, you know, second, really, in command in the band. Yep, yep. And um, I him. think that, I think Born, in the, Born to Run is the first album he was on with Bruce, actually. Oh, oh, he wasn't, well, he was not there before that. Well, he wasn't on Greetings. Okay. I mean, he, you know, he really played first with uh, the as Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes. Right. Uh, and he arranged those horns, which is what he did on that song. He arranged uh, 10th Avenue Freeze Out's horns. Amazing. Section. He came in, and he, that's when he started assisting Bruce with recording and the guitar parts that Springsteen admits. He says, yeah, he assisted me on some of the parts. How I played the guitar. He's an amazing musician and a terrific guy. Our friend Stephen Van Zandt. Thank you, Lou yeah. Rufino. Happy birthday to Steve. Brian Kilmeade will join us momentarily. Peter King will be here. My friend Joe Murray puts on this huge event every year. The Little North Pole in the Ponset. His house is gorgeous. He raises money for all kinds of charities, including juvenile diabetes, autism, maybe dyspraxia this year as well. My friend Joe Murray will join us. And then a very special live in-studio guest, 
She's a young lady who actually survived that music festival with 260 basically kids were murdered by Hamas back on October the 7th. Natalie Sanindaji live in studio coming up at 930. But it looks like at 3 o'clock in the morning tomorrow, which will be 10 a.m. Israeli time, that will be the official start to the pause, ceasefire, call it what you want. Right now it's only four days Israel gets back 50 hostages, all men and women, Palestinians, 150, supposedly there too, men and women, although they are terrorists, some of them. Uh, Noam Layden, what's the latest? Let me just correct you. It's children and women that are going to become, uh, won't be men and women. Children oh, and right, women children, right. are going to be exchanged. Women, yeah. And it's, uh, we know it's a four-day window. Uh, we know it's starting tomorrow morning. How that's going to transfer is going to happen, we don't know. Maybe they're purposely keeping those details away from us. And the um, Prime Minister of Israel saying, hey, if we keep this going, day five, day six, day seven, we'll do that if Hamas hands us ten more hostages each day. So he says it's up to Hamas how many hostages and how long the ceasefire goes on. But he did say when he when the cabinet greenlighted this deal uh, early this morning, morning our time he says once this is over the war continues my oh, yeah. aim is to wipe out hamas nothing has changed yeah, these morons who think they're uh, saving their lives by doing this deal and giving us back the hostages they are still dead men walking in fact netanyahu actually called all the hamas leaders dead men walking yesterday so if they think they're earning some good grace here by doing this maybe they don't care they just want to get their own animals out i don't know but they're all going to die. It's not going to matter. We are going after them once these people are home. Right? That's the aim, yeah. Yeah. That hasn't changed. That has not changed. Okay. Anthony D'Esposito, my uh, newest favorite in the house out of Long Island, he said he met Natalie yesterday. Natalie Sanandaji, who will be live in studio at 930, he says, amazing story. And then he said something else I'm not going to read, so. <laughs> well, that sounds like the more intriguing. Thing. <laughs> yeah, you like. Right, you take a guess. Anyway, uh, uh, Brian Kilmeade is uh, coming up next. Talk Radio seventy-seven WABC. Sit in friends in the morning. Seventy-seven WABC. Once again, happy Thanksgiving, folks. This is our last show until Monday. I have no idea what the schedule of my next guest is here at WABC, but I can tell you on most days he follows us and does a great job 10 a.m. every weekday morning, as well as a huge star at Fox News, Fox and Friends every weekday morning, and his own show, which I love. It's called One Nation, 9 p.m., but after my boy Levin, Saturday night's on Fox News, he is the man, the great Brian Kilmeade. Brian, good morning, buddy. How are you? Uh, my schedule's big. I mean, I'm going to be here on Friday. I'm going to take Thanksgiving off. Going to be live this morning. So right after you, just like you, walking up right up to Thanksgiving, then we're going to go blow up, blow up some balloons to make the parade extra special this year. Oh, are you going to do that, really, from uh, what, right outside the studios? 
Nope, I just wanted to be included, make you think that I'm part of the media. I would never do that. Well, you know what's it funny? It's too cold. Now, I used to live and on, it's raining. Yeah, I know, but I used to live on the Upper West Side on 104th and West End until I moved to Queens two years ago. So uh, we went pretty close to Amsterdam in the 70s where they blow up the balloons tonight. They blow them up on Wednesday night. So yeah. Thursday morning's a parade. So we would, my kids were little, go to the balloon blow-up party Wednesday night. And then we've even sat there in the stands once or twice during the parade. Now my daughter's in Europe in college and my son's in high school. They're too old. But we've done all that. It's actually kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, we went twice into the city to see the parade. And it was good when they're younger. But it's probably the last place I want to be. Now we find out, hey, by the way, we might have a a, a, a greater chance of a terror attack. Fantastic. Who would have thought that? (laughs) You open the border wide up, but 100,000 people we don't know sleep on our streets and take over our hotels. Well, I never thought it would be a problem. Well, look, I still don't buy that. I, I feel like the major events they don't do. They try to find times when we're kind of um, asleep, if you will, like that 9-11 morning. The major events, usually they don't go after marathons, parades, but you never know. You're right. I know Christopher Ray has scared the hell out of us the last couple of months. And I got to tell you, Brian, I don't know about you, but as a New York resident like you, every time this idiot Governor Kathy Hochul speaks, especially about security in New York, I feel uh, less safe. How about you? Absolutely. And by the way, don't forget, they're cutting the, the Joint Terrorist Task Force, one of the best in the world. They cut back on that. So don't tell me, oh, we got our guys ready. No, you cut the numbers, and then you made it, uh, you disincentivize people from staying in. And then Kathy Hochul talking about how she's on top of things. She's reading right from her cards. People that are into this know this stuff cold. They get briefed so often they can take any question. The question is, what can they actually tell us? With her, I just feel like she's married to the prompter, looking at her cards, trying to act like she's in control. No, I agree. And then, uh, as you mentioned, the numbers of people since 2021, bad guys, bad guys from really bad countries, as Donald Trump would say, uh, they have come in here in big numbers. And if, if it's not going to be on Thanksgiving, uh, like Christopher Ray said, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And, you know, I was on uh, Fox News on Friday night. I actually was on Jesse Waters' show. He was out. Will Kane filled in. And uh, he said to me, you know, Eric Adams all these budget cuts, what does it mean for the city? And I told them, Brian, I said, look, right now you've got three different criminal elements every day in New York. You've got your everyday crime, right, the guys that are still slashing people on subways and robbing people and mugging people. Then you've got the illegals, the migrants, a percentage of them commit crimes all the time. Then you've got what we're talking about, these terrorists. So right now you've got three different groups, if you will, ready to attack New York City. And we find out a couple of days ago from the mayor that forget about 45,000 cops, forget about 40,000 cops. We're looking at about 27,000 cops. How does that make feel any of us feel safe? And he says it's because we spent billions of dollars on illegal immigrants. So we shut down libraries on Sunday, dim the street lights, and cut back cops of the two cop academy classes. And I believe they're going to be cutting the budgets on the FDNY. It doesn't. But what you could say is this was thrust upon them, and the mayor did speak out, just like the governor of Illinois did speak out. But if you really cared, you'd be telling everybody we're getting rid of the sanctuary city. 
problem. Uh, we're going to get rid of that status. And you would say, I made a mistake when I first took over. I thought we'd have a handful of illegal immigrants and we'd be able to take them in and refurbish a hotel. But not by any stretch, I never thought this and I was wrong. Then I'd say to myself, okay, he got the job and it's a lot harder and different than he thought. Let's you know join the club. Let's go. But he only goes halfway every time. I agree with you because the truth is, like I said to Will, it is partly his fault. Like you said, when all this started happening, he was quick to say, come on, we're a sanctuary city. Don't forget, when the first couple of buses arrived here, Brian Kilmeade, he was out there shaking hands. He's the guy that put him in four-star hotels while American homeless are sleeping in the streets. Some American veterans are sleeping in the streets. So I asked Rudy Giuliani yesterday on my show, Rudy, the greatest mayor ever, I said, what would you do now? And he said, Sid, I'll tell you what I would do. I would put these people back on the buses and send them to Washington, D.C. Eric would never do something like that because, A, he feels like it's inhumane, which is bull. And second of all, he has to still kowtow to the Democrat Party. So every once in a while he speaks like a Republican who makes sense, but most of the time his actions are a Democrat that is destroying this city. Is that fair to say? Yeah, uh, what he's doing is not stopping the city from being destroyed. I, I thought de Blasio was actually doing things to destroy the city. I think that what he's not stopping the things that are happening the way he can. That's what frustrates me. You see him understand the problem. Like, you know, with Joe Biden and his green push and his massive deficits and his timid way of running our military and this DEI, all negative things to hurt our country. Sometimes I think the mayor totally gets it. But someone almost I feel like he gets to him and says, you can't do the right thing. You just can't do it. But I feel like he knows how to do it at one point. He's got to say, I'll be a one-term mayor. I'm just going to do the right thing. I'll lose the party machine if I have to. I'm just going to do the right thing. And I believe that he must be also understanding that if he does that, he could probably still win re-election because so many Republicans want someone to be effective uh, and they're tired of uh, looking around and seeing this whole thing fall apart. There's a lack of logic with our politicians. There's no more hard. There's no more hard decisions to make. There's just there's no more practical. There's no more practical politicians in there with their hand on the steering wheel anymore. I mean, some of these decisions are just idiotic that they're making. I mean, letting the people out of prison, never adjusting it, weakening our laws, uh, uh, cutting back on cops, diminishing uh, their ability to do their job. And you wonder why crime and, and the American lifestyle is going down. It's just this is a lack of logic. He some he shows us that he can do it. But then he pulls back, which adds to the frustration. This is Brian Kilmeade, Bottles Me, 10 a.m. every weekday morning right here on WABC, Fox and News, and, of course, his own show, 9 p.m. Saturday nights, One Nation. So are you still, um, you know, talking this crap like other folks that Ron DeSantis still has a chance and Nikki Haley still has a chance and we're still a couple of months out from Iowa and Trump is going to prison and blah, blah, blah? Or are you well, finally well, going to say what I, I've been saying? Half, it's over. It's over. Trump won. No, it's, it's not over. But uh, Trump's in a good position. You can no longer say that Donald Trump can't win the general. And I think the, his opponents have stopped saying it because he's won. He's on top in the last four polls. But I do not think that you ever, before the game starts, give anybody the victory. And the game has not started. We got a few weeks until Iowa. Oh, After Iowa, <laughs> if he trounces, yeah. the, the, the field thins into yeah. New Hampshire. Right. If he wins again... 
does Haley stick around to South Carolina? DeSantis will not do well there. And if she is close in all three, she sticks around for the long uh, for the long haul. And Ron DeSantis has got a major uh, Iowa boost. We know he's got the governor. And now he got this guy, Bob Vanderplatz. Yeah. And everybody that this guy has picked has won Iowa. Yeah. So we'll see where it goes. The one thing I don't love about DeSantis is he's going doing a Democratic talking point and saying that Donald Trump has lost his fastball. Donald Trump hasn't lost it. That's not a weakness for Donald Trump. That stuff I can't stand. DeSantis is still down about 25 points in Iowa in every major poll, even with him picking up all these endorsements. Nikki Haley, all this momentum in Iowa and New Hampshire, she's down about 25 points. They're both down about 40 points in national polls. So you're right, the game hasn't started, but Trump's not a 17-point favorite. He's like a 30-point favorite. But play the game. You can't close the curtain before the games, before the, before the show starts. The show starts in Iowa. And let's see what, what comes out. And even if Trump loses in Iowa, most people who win Iowa don't win the nomination. That's right. So that would be the point what he says out of it. And then if New Hampshire's close, they only have like 1.1 million people in New Hampshire. So that thing can change if you come out of Iowa with momentum. And the other thing is, I don't know if you agree with me, I think this is a talented Republican feel. So it's not like Dennis Kucinich and Bernie Sanders, these niche crazy candidates that are just out there to to make us laugh. You know, you got you got two very prestigious candidates. Chris Christie kills it in every debate. I mean, this might not be his time, but you can't say he is not good. What? And then you have Vivek Ramaswamy, who uh. is definitely playing a role. But they're they are a talented field. Without Trump, I think the Republicans would still be strong. Chris Christie is a fat, stupid, backstabbing jerk-off whose time was a no, decade ago. He's an embarrassment. Vivek Ramaswamy. Well, what would happen with you and Chris Christie? What happened with me and Chris Christie? you know him? He's a great guy. Uh, he's not a great guy. He's a backstabbing phony. And uh, Vivek Ramaswamy hates the Jews. I'll give you DeSantis. I'll give you uh, Haley. They're relatively impressive. But calm down, okay? Calm down. They're Okay. You got one guy who can save this country. <laughs> one, his name is Donald Trump. But I do want to get to other presidential news because you do know Calm the down. presidency as well as anybody. And uh, you've written all these great books, including a book right now about Roosevelt and uh, Booker T. Today, as you know, Brian Kilmeade happens to be 60 years to the day that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. I had Bill O'Reilly on a couple of days ago. We talked about, did Lee Harvey Oswald really do it? He said, I covered this. He certainly did. But there's a healthy percentage of folks who think he did not. Maybe it was Cuba. Maybe the mob. Who the hell knows? What are your thoughts well, the, 60 years later on the Kennedy assassination? Well, I've, been, I've had my, uh, my own investigation team working on this yeah. and for decades. And they have yet to provide a report. So I'm going to have to rely on you. <laughs> um, for this. So, oh, by the way, did Bill O'Reilly yell at you when you said, I think it was somebody besides Lee Harvey Oswald? Did he yell at you? No, because I didn't say, I think that. What I do is, oh. I actually, I, I, I mention other, so I save myself that embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> because he does yell at you, right? Has he, he yelled at you yet? No, he loves me. We do shows together in front of live audiences. We text each other. Like, we're actually, like, really close at this point. It's insane. It's surreal. But, no, he's very good to me. Very good. He yells at you? Right. Yeah, he'll, he'll get mad at me. <laughs> he, you could tell. 
But it's okay. Oh, I know for funny. him, I get it. Most yeah. of the time, he's right. Yeah, of course he is. Uh, and you are, right. too, all kidding aside. So who's uh, who's coming up on the Thanksgiving Saturday edition of One Nation? All right, coming up on One Nation, I'm going to leave with Michael Waltz and uh, Derek Van Orden, two, one Na- Green Bray, one Navy SEAL, on the state of our military, this whole woke thing that's happening, why we have to start hitting back in the Middle East, and we better not lose our spine with Israel. And when it comes to Ukraine, we can't quit that country. I'm going to find out what they think about the state of our military uh, and also uh, what we can do right now. I'm tired of just complaining. I want to find out what they can actually do. I'm also going to have on the show Will Kane. You're going to get mad at me, but I believe that sports betting is really killing sports. It might be a quick shot in the arm uh, money-wise. That's great. Good job. The ESPN, go cash in. Uh, DraftKings, good luck with that. I just think it's killing the purity of sports. No, and, and even some of the athletes are saying uh, they're feeling it. So we'll talk about that. Um, also, what am I? Oh, I'm also going to look at um, to the with John Cooper. He's a lead singer of Skillet. He takes on this woke society and talking about how to get the uh, change the mindset of our kids who now love Bin Laden and love Hamas. So we're tackling that. And of course, the big story over the weekend, Saturday at four o'clock, will be in West Islip at Barnes and Noble, and I'll be signing. The only Long Island appearance. You might see me on Long Island, but it might be on a train or going to the uh, going to the supermarket. But I'll be signing books one time, four o'clock on Saturday. Uh, Teddy and Booker T at the Barnes and Noble in West Islip. Just go to BrianKilme.com and make a make a reservation. That sounds awesome. And I don't disagree with you about the uh, the Will Kane segment sports betting. I mean, I I bet on sports most of my life, but I'm I'm a little annoyed by it at this point. I mean, every single commercial break is a FanDuel this and a DraftKings that. And for me, it's actually too saturated. It's become too much. I understand states like Nevada, New York, New Jersey are starting to bring in some serious revenue. That does help. But I don't disagree that it kind of takes away from the game when every single play you can bet on, their odds, I think it's kind of silly. But in the end, Brian, happy Thanksgiving to you. This show has done very, very well, my morning show. And I really believe that your weekly appearances are part of the major reason why. So I'm very, very thankful this morning for my friend Brian Kilmeade. And I'm thankful, Sid, for your loyalty. Without you uh, serving it to me every day and letting the audience know you can stick around, Brian's okay. Uh, I would not uh, had the success I've had. So I can't thank you enough, and you're just killing it. The big question is, will I be throwing a lunch party for WABC and their anchors and executives, and will you point me to the right restaurant? Well, like you, I did last year. Like last you did year last was year. Great. Remember, I was walking the wrong direction. Yes, you did. You went the wrong way, and I found you. We went to that. Uh, we went to that great steakhouse, actually, uh, Bobby Vance. So I'm yes. looking forward to it this year. Whatever it's going to be, Brian, it's going to be fun. Happy Thanksgiving. Have a great weekend. And I meant what I said. I think you're terrific. You really are. We'll talk again next week, buddy. Thank you so much. All right. Stay within yourself, Sid. Go get him. <laughs> All right, Brian. There he is. He follows me every weekday morning right here on WABC at 10 o'clock. And, of course, Fox and Friends on Fox News every weekday morning at 9 p.m. after Mark Levin, Saturday nights on Fox News. One Nation. He's my friend, Brian Kilme. We'll come back with more on Sid and Friends in the morning. A very exciting two hours about to come your way. Talk Radio 
77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Great stylistics. Let's put it all together. Happy Thanksgiving, folks. You know, when um, when I was a kid, we used to stay in bungalow colonies in upstate New York, and my uncle Norman owned this, I can leave this song playing, owned this beautiful house in Swan Lake, New York. Norman happens to be the father of Norman Coleman Jr., the great senator from the state of Minnesota who's on this show all the time. And he would invite all the cousins and aunts and uncles to sleep over the house in Swan Lake. And Knuckle Norman got up at 6 o'clock in the morning every damn Saturday, and he would blast this song. And we'd all wake up together to the stylistics. Let's put it all together. So this day before Thanksgiving, along with my dad, Uncle Norman, this one goes out to you. Messages are starting to come in now, a lot of them between my Instagram. And I tell you folks, every morning you can follow me on Instagram at Rosenberg.Sydney. Don't go to my old one. <coughs> a lot of you folks are still going to at Sid Rosenberg. I haven't used that in four years. So I'm at Rosenberg.Sydney. <coughs> and then my Facebook is Sid Rosenberg. And my text messages, my emails starting to get... Um, Loaded with happy Thanksgiving wishes. I love that. And our next guest is a friend of mine for, well, 25 years. Dating back to the days of Imus. He is one of the kindest souls you'll ever meet. And along with that, he's the best men's fashion designer ever. Everybody loves him. Not more than me. Our dear buddy, Joseph Abood. Joseph, good morning. How are you? Sid, and a happy Thanksgiving to you and your beautiful family and extended family with Justin and Lou. I love you guys. It's just uh, this time of year, it's to hug those people you love a little bit closer and a little bit harder. So um, I just want to wish you all the very best for this great holiday. I can't help but think if uh, the I-Man was still alive and 
You called into him, he'd be like, oh, uh, 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 why don't you go back to Lebanon with your, your effing Hezbollah friends? And uh, right, there's no way Imus wouldn't I mention, did, I, right? But I remember when I called him, I was in the Christmas spirit. You know, I called him and I said, you know, Don, I wanted to wish you and Deirdre and Wyatt free for Christmas, you know, with all that cheer. And he said, I hope your effing Christmas tree burns down. <laughs> um, that was that was Imus. That was Imus. You know, I mean, I, I, I somewhere in there was was goodwill and best wishes. But, um, you know, it was and, and I feel like the ghost of Christmas past with bring you with your blonde hair and we did a makeover on you. And Lou was a young guy trying to, you know, manage Imus in the back. Uh, it was a nightmare. But but it's all part of our history. And and this time of year, I love listening to you guys and having all those great memories. It was you know, it was really special, our history together. Oh, that was fun. It was uh, actually, it was me and Janice Dean, who's now a big star at Fox News. And yes. they actually yes. took us to uh, Frederick Fakai, and uh, they made my hair blonde. <laughs> they did her hair. They put it on the TLC channel, and it was all done on a live Imus show, Joseph, for Mohegan Sun. And then later on that night, when Imus and all the crew left, me and Danielle stayed, and you took us to Dan Aykroyd's birthday party. At Mohegan Sun, remember that? Yeah. It's of Christmas past, of course, yes. Well, we had a lot of fun, and I think one of the things that we did through the Imus years was we kind of bonded and had a friendship with all the adversity, and you and I become great friends. I'm so proud of you and what the work you're doing now, and, you know, the time we're in, these holidays become so much more important, Sid. Well, I agree with that. I mean, so much more no, important. you're right. There's, there's so much horror and negativity and... And it's, it's deserved. Terrible. We're not it's making terrible. this stuff up. This is not propaganda. This is all real stuff. So you're right. But with that said, then, uh, before we wrap this nice little uh, holiday spirit conversation up, you know, I went to pick up a piece of mail at Corey Zelnick's office last week. Corey wasn't there, but uh, that store, which was your beautiful men's clothing store, is still vacant. I don't know how many years this is, but there's still no store down there. Now you're talking about uh, migrants sleeping in the streets. They're going to cut the budget 5%. There'll be more rats, less cops, less fire. Say what you want, whether you like Eric or not, whether you like him or not. This city right now is a mess. Your thoughts? First of all, you're absolutely right. With all the idea that this is the greatest city in the world, and it was, it is not now. It is emblematic to have a store on 49th and Madison with that kind of building and that kind of architecture to be empty. Hey, up and down Madison, there are so many empty stores. It breaks my heart because this is the city that I made my career in. I had to leave Boston, the town I love. And as they say, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. Well, this is where I had to come. And it was filled with energy and excitement and power the same city and it breaks my heart and i think anybody who tries to sugarcoat it be delusional all right well listen on the way out peter king is set to join me in about 15 minutes and um he just texted me (laughs) again he's so effing annoying with this damn car have joseph sign the car and calm melissa down i call him annoying but he's right because melissa zim is very capable of uh, killing Peter. So maybe he's not annoying. I think he's right. When are you going to sign the damn car? Yeah, but I'm also going to send her an autographed picture so she can put it up over the dashboard. <laughs> so she can actually look at me. But I, but I do want to say on a positive note, 
I wish we had more politicians like Peter King because we use the icon word all the time, but Peter is an icon and one of the greatest politicians New York has ever seen, and I wish we had more of them. And on this holiday season, you know, let's all think about making New York better and looking at things that will, will help us all feel comfortable about coming back into New York. Joseph, I love you. Thank you for calling in for a couple of minutes. It's, uh, you know, Ernie Anastas does this bit every day, and I love Ernie. And he calls it positively Ernie because he tries to take a positive stance to some of the issues in this city. And as much as I love Ernie, I don't know anybody more positive than you. And I love you and I love our friendship. So happy Thanksgiving to you and your beautiful family. Come in sometime next week or two. Okay, buddy? Poor Christmas. And I love you guys. You are absolutely the best and number one. All right. Thank you. That is a men's fashion designer, the best ever. More importantly, dear friend Joseph Abood, that does set up a really exciting final 90 minutes. We mentioned Peter King. He's going to join us in about 15 minutes. Then another great attorney lives in my neighborhood. He's become a very, very close friend, Joe Murray. He puts on a Christmas extravaganza, second to none. He calls it the Little North Pole in the Ponset out there in Rockaway Beach. You know that uh, big party, Lewis. That's going to happen this Saturday. Actually raises money for some great causes like juvenile diabetes, autism, and more. And then the one you just can't miss, folks. Don't miss this. Live in studio coming up at 930. She is one of the lucky ones who survived that music festival in Israel back on October the 7th. Everybody loves her. She's been described as heroic and beautiful. Natalie Sanandaji live in studio coming up at 9.30. So keep it right here, folks. The last show before Thanksgiving back on Monday. Sitting friends in the morning. WABC. This is Sitting Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Sid, you have the best morning show in the business, and it's a privilege for me to play a small role in it. I listen to you on the way in here, meaning, you know, I turned it on on ABC Streaming. It's very exciting. You have a very natural flow. You keep it moving, you know, even oh with all the ads in between, you can still hear Sid. And you got a nice voice. You got a, a, an on-air presence that comes across, Sid. And I know why you're successful. I mean, you relate to the audience, and they hear you. Being on your show, Sid, I'm telling you, you're terrific. You, you've got it. You're you're the you're a showman, and I was I appreciated being you know just being with you on the show. Wow. Fantastic. Your voice, however, I find is very soothing and very listenable. And you are the best in the business for a reason. Oh my God. And you and also you have like uh, the tonality uh, like you know what you're getting right away it's like i'm sid rosenberg i'm a new yorker and i'm going to give it to you straight right like that's what you're going to get can i say something real quick sure. there's a reason you're number one in new york you are fantastic oh my you God. really are fantastic mm-hmm. And I appreciate you, buddy. And God Thank bless you. everybody in New York. Coming from you, that just meant the world to me. God bless you, too. I love you, Mark Levin. Thank you. you too, Thank buddy. you. How about that on the way out for Mark Levin, huh?
somebody get me a Marlboro Light? You are number one, and you're a great guy and a great friend. And just take care of yourself, and we'll speak to you again soon. The band. And there is a significance of playing the band here at 837 on a Wednesday morning, the day before Thanksgiving 2023. And what is that, Lewis? The last concert was on Thanksgiving of 76. Uh, when did Levon Helm die? Uh, let's see. It's in the teens, 2000 teens. Yeah, much later. Yeah. 25 years at least. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go, the band, and, of course, a little piece that um, I had Justin put together because I'm a narcissist. Thank you. Including Judge Napolitano, Michael Savage, Mark Levin, Kelly Ripper, Donald Trump. I feel like I'm missing somebody, but play that. What did I miss? Napolitano? Did no, I have him? him in there. Okay. Did you say uh, Michael Savage? I, did, I said them all, yeah. Okay. So there was an article written yesterday in uh, Barrett Media. <laughs> Shut up. And uh, Barrett Media is far and away the top media publication in the country. They, they do, um, you know, they actually write stories every day. They wrote a story last week where they claimed that I said on the air that I basically have buried W-O-R all by myself. Now, I don't remember saying that, but it's certainly possible. <laughs> but uh, not long after that, I got a call from a guy named Ryan Hedrick, and he said, um, Sid, I feel like you're the next radio big one, you know, the big one. And he said, I want to do an interview. And I said, well, that's very humbling, and sure. So it came out yesterday, and it reads, 77 WABC, Sid Rosenberg has only ever wanted to be himself on the air. And I go on, I thank John and Margoin. He said, why do you think you're having great success? And I said, to be honest, because John and Margo and Chad, those three people, John, Margo, and Chad, allow Sid Rosenberg to be Sid Rosenberg. If you try to harness me, like many program directors have done and general managers, then it ain't going to go well. I'll probably get fired, and uh, you'll get no ratings. It'll be a disaster. But when you buy in, like Steve Lapper did, like John Morgan were doing, then you're going to have success. I know how to do this. I learned from the greats. I know how to do this. But I do go on in this article to thank Lou Rufino specifically. I love Justin Ellick. I think Ellick has become the best producer in New York. I mean that. And Noam is the best news guy in New York. Take that, Ben Meverack. But I do write about, uh, well, I should say, uh, he asked me why the show was having great success, even better success, after losing Bernie. And I explained to him that losing Bernie was a a really crushing loss, both on and off the air. I still maintain God is good to me. I'll be 57 in April. Bernard McGurk is one of the best people I ever met, ever. And he was smart. And he was good on the air. But with all that said, Lou deserves a ton of credit. So the author, Ryan Hedrick, writes this. Being a heavyweight in the news talk genre matters to Rosenberg. Despite a heart-wrenching loss last year, partner Bernie McGurk dying of prostate cancer, 
Rosenberg has found success with Lou Ruffino, who has proven to be a valuable asset to Rosenberg's morning show. With skyrocketing ratings and a growing audience, he's now thriving in his comfort zone, finally poised for triumph. Sid Rosenberg recognizes Rufino, who worked alongside Bernie and Dynamis for many years, as a guy with a sharp eye on the news, a passion for sports, and a musical genius, as Eddie Murphy once said about Stevie Wonder. Rufino has seamlessly transitioned into a sidekick role, prompting noticeable changes in the show, now with a increased focus on jokes and more engaging lifestyle conversations, the show is firing on all cylinders, engaging New Yorkers on a different level with the unpredictability that all great shows have. So happy Thanksgiving, Lewis. I just called to say. <laughs> a musical genius. genius. I would just say I'll, I'll steal from a Kelly. Your tonality is what does it. <laughs> No you know, your, your uh, significant other, MJ, sent me a Facebook post this morning with a, I guess, a, a camera, a screenshot of the column, and she said, great article. Yes. Said, I wonder if the fact that your boy, Lou, is mentioned so often in it has something to do with that. So. Oh, you're wondering? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you wondering? It's a good piece. It's on my Instagram page. You can follow me today, read all of it. There's actually two pieces on the page. There's that one and another guy named Baruch Green, who wrote a piece that also came out yesterday. Popular Jewish WABC host, honored by Woodmere Shul on Shabbos. Read them both on Instagram, at Rosenberg.Sydney, at Rosenberg.Sydney, and on Facebook, Sid Rosenberg, I don't tweet, I don't X, I don't do any of that stuff. I stopped a long time ago. Elon Musk was not able to convince me to come back. I think pound for pound, the biggest low lives in the world are on X. So I, I do Instagram, I do Facebook, and I do Peter King, who is coming up. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Springsteen classic, prove it all night. Stephen Van Zandt, one of my best buddies. Once again, little Stevie, the E Street Band, and Silvio Dante on the Sopranos. Celebrating, according to Lewis, his 73rd birthday today. Happy birthday, little Stevie. Nice messages here from Johnny Tobacco, Norman Seabrook. You know the big-time lawyer Lou Gellarmino out on Staten Island who got that migrant case uh, case one on behalf of uh, Sliwa and all those Rebels, thank you very much for the kind words. A 
They love that little montage you put together. They said, well-deserved. Anyway, my next guest, I am thankful for him. He does an amazing job on this show every Wednesday. He's really become a legitimate big star here at WABC on John Katzmatidi's show quite a bit. And again, with us uh, every Wednesday, I always say the two best politicians in my lifetime here in New York, Rudy Giuliani and Peter King, Homeland, uh, he did the uh, the Homeland stuff as well. Just an amazing guy, Homeland Security. Peter King, good morning, Peter. Happy Thanksgiving. How are you, pal? I'm doing fine, Sid. Happy Thanksgiving to you. I have a lot of reason to be thankful this year. My brother has been sick. He's out of the hospital. He's doing well. Oh, I'm good. happy about that. Good. As far as being a star, I'm going to attach myself to Lou Ruffino. <laughs> I mean, Lou can make anybody a star. Yeah, I guess. I mean, he's done it with me. You're right. I went out of my way to uh, to uh, praise him in that uh, article, but he really does deserve it. So I want to get Very to bad. this this uh, yeah. hostage stuff because I know you listen all morning long. I've got folks that yeah. come on and go, we have to do this. We have to get the innocents out at any cost. Others go, man, I don't know. I mean, of course, if it was my kid, I would say that. But are we really going to stop killing these animals? Thousands in numbers, maybe a thirty, forty thousand left. Over 236 people. There's actually two, two sides of uh, two schools of thinking on this hostage release. Just so you know, I'm all for it. I want to make sure after four or five days, Netanyahu goes right back to killing these bastards. But I want the hostages home. How does Peter King feel? Yeah, at a human level, I obviously want them back. I agree with you. Somebody in my family, yes, <clears throat> I, I do all I could to get them back. My concern is how long can they string this out? And there's a reward. I don't mind rewarding them if that's the end of it. But are they going to take more hostages? Is this going to hold Israel back from destroying Hamas? I mean, I hope that, and I have a lot of faith in Netanyahu. I'm a Netanyahu fan. That violence is going on. He's still going to be killing individual Hamas leaders. And they have a plan ready to go in. But otherwise, they can string us out forever and say, we have hostages in this tunnel. We have hostages here. It can't attack this. And that could end up in hundreds and thousands, hundreds and maybe thousands of more Israelis being killed over the next several years. So it's a tough one. But I think probably in the spirit of humanity, and that, that's where Israel, that is, I, you know, quote me right, that is a weakness Israel have. They care about human lives. Hamas doesn't. And Hamas and the PLO and all those groups have taken advantage of that over the years. But that's, you know, that's, uh, that's what makes Israel what it yeah. is. So I give them tremendous yeah. credit for it. Militarily and strategically, I'm not sure it's the right idea. But again, <clears throat> if it was somebody in my family, I'd be all for it. Right. I mean, I was talking to Hillel Fold earlier this morning, uh, early this morning, 6 a.m. hour. His brother Ari was murdered by the Palestinians five years ago. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, uh, to a certain extent, it's going to sound insensitive, but uh, it's a win tomorrow for Hamas because. They did this. I mean, yes, certainly they took some of these young girls for their own uh, jollies and, and sick bastards, but raping them every day. But they, they did this on purpose. They knew if they grabbed these hostages, that was their leverage. And now it's playing right into their hands. So on, on one hand, like you just said, and I've said, it's good to have these folks home, but they actually win tomorrow, don't they? Yeah, they do win because, first of all, it's going to buy them time. Secondly, they can use these hostages as bargaining uh, uh, wedges. I mean, now these 50 will get out, and God bless them and their families. There's others still being held. That's going to hold Israel back, they feel. And then they can take more hostages. It's There can be no end to this. And you deal with hostages, this happens. But if you're a democracy, if you're a, a freedom-loving country, you're torn in both ways. So I, I have faith of anyone. Maybe it's the wrong you can you know, thread the needle here. It, it, it'll be Netanyahu to get as many hostages back as possible and also kill as many Hamas leaders as possible.
I was talking about Barack Obama earlier today with, um, I forget who, it doesn't matter, but I told him that um, I'm friendly now with a lady named Shirley Sotloff. And you remember this, Peter, Jahani, Johnny, whatever the, his name was, Jahadi John. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we ended up killing him, but he killed two people on video uh, with a knife. He killed uh, Foley, and then he killed my friend Stephen Sotloff, right. whose mother, Shirley, lives in Miami and talks to me all the time. And she said, Sid, me and my husband, Arnie, we begged and pleaded with Obama, we'll give you a million, two million, bring our son home. He said, no. We don't, we don't negotiate with terrorists. Kayla Mueller, you may remember her, beautiful young American girl. Oh, yeah. One of these yeah. sick ISIS bastards made her his American wife until they blew her up and killed her. And her parents begged and pleaded. And Obama kept saying, we don't negotiate with terrorists. But yet, but yet, he made a worse deal than Ryan for Fregosi in that Bo Bergdahl deal. So which one is it? Do we negotiate with terrorists or do we not? Now, you have to be very careful. And Obama's record is so bad. And he's also the one who gave billions of dollars to, uh, you know, to Iraq, uh, uh, to Iran, which has allowed them to carry all, all this terrorism out. Going back, you know, the administration, they had the pallets of cash going over there to uh, Iran, you know, the uh, Iran nuclear deal. And as far as that thing with Bo Berger, that was a total disaster from beginning to end. I mean, that, that was uh, shameful the way that was carried out. So why Obama did one thing and not another, I can't figure him out. I think he's one of the most overrated presidents we ever had. And he's done more damage in the Middle East during his time. And he never got wrapped for it. He really should have. I mean, everything he did in the Middle East blew up. He could have uh, furthered the Iran revolution uh, uh, back in his first year in office. Instead, he went around the Middle East talking about the United States being some kind of an oppressive imperialist nation. And then his, you know, the deal with Iran, the nuclear deal, the way he treated Israelis, his final week in office where he had the uh, uh, Israel condemned it to the United Nations the first time it's ever been allowed by an American president. So, no, he was a failure as president, and he has a suitable failure in office right now with Joe Biden. I want to ask you about Kennedy. I was born in 1967, yeah. so when he was assassinated, of course, I wasn't around. You were. And uh, I think you heard me earlier in the program say the first time I ever saw grown men cry was I was at a bungalow colony in upstate New York, and when Thurman Munson crashed his plane, that was the first time. I was about 12. I saw grown men cry, but I was told when Kennedy was assassinated, men, women, children took to the streets, cried then, and 60 years later, they're still crying. Today happens to be the 60-year commemoration to the day when JFK was assassinated. When you hear that, you're alive, you're around, what do you think? I was I was very much alive. I remember, anyone who was alive then remembers exactly where they were. I was standing in the front of an American history class in uh, San Francisco College in Brooklyn, and a guy came in and told a professor they shot Kennedy. And it was like, you know, it was a different time then. We had not had an assassination in 60, 70 years, whatever it was. Uh, Kennedy was the first television president. Every first time you knew a president's family, it was a whole different era. And for that to happen, it, it, people felt as if their, you know, their brother or sister had been killed. The whole nation came to a halt. Listen, my family was the Nixon family. They were heartbroken over, over Kennedy. I mean, uh, everything stopped. You went to subways. People wouldn't talk. It was uh, like one large wake throughout New York City. I remember I was working that weekend at the Railway Express over the freight yards. And these are the toughest guys you ever wanted to see. They were like walk, you know, walking around like zombies. Now, that was a whole different era. And it's, uh, I guess we lost our innocence that day. Because, you know, after that, you had different shootings, assassinations. But Kennedy was the symbol of youth. He was the first television president. I mean, Eisenhower, I thought, was an effective president. But you never saw him on television. 
his, his legend was from World War II. Kennedy was out there news conferences. No president ever held a televised news conference before. No president ever played such football on the beach. I mean, it's just all the whole thing. No, no, president, no, no president also was banging as many hookers as he was, hanging out with the mob like he was, possibly I'm, I'm, involved I'm, in Marilyn Monroe's murder like he was, and almost getting us blown up by Cuba like he did. No, but I'm saying it was the image that was out. No, there. I know, I know, I know. I know. You no, ask, no. You know, why were people, uh, uh, grown men crying, uh, grown men crying because of that? All this well, well, let me stop. Let out. me stop you for a second, then. So, because I agree with you, and I said earlier today that for everybody that says Sid, when you talk, you sound shallow sometimes. Because I always talk about how people look, and I don't care what you think. It plays a major, major role with a lot of people. Not everybody, but a lot of people. If John F. Kennedy was not as handsome and rugged, and that whole Kennedy glamour deal and all that as he was would he have been as beloved because if you look at what he did as president he made a lot of really bad blunders almost got the united states destroyed by a third world country if he was fat and pimple ridden and nasty would people still be crying in the streets no he was the first image president that we had he was the first member people didn't even know the Roosevelt was in a wheelchair eisenhower was an older guy who was very his, his whole goal was to stay out of the public eye. Kennedy was all over the place, hanging out with Frank Sinatra, people offered, you know, the Rat Pack. Uh, again, the family was always out there, Teddy Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, Jacqueline Kennedy, Caroline Kennedy, John, uh, you know, John John Jr., all of that. It was a whole different image. Listen, my family was a Nixon family. If, if, if it had been Nixon who was shot, no. They would not have gotten that type of thing. Or anyone else at that time, Kennedy was a Hollywood star. That's the way he was being projected. And people thought they knew him. And I, listen, I, I did not think he was a great president. I, listen, I, I, know, uh, I was with people in Congress who knew him, said he was a nice enough guy, not maybe as nice as his image was. I public. they liked Teddy a lot more. But having said that, uh, again, you have to – you had to live there at that time. It's hard to describe it, uh, you know, the feeling. The country came to a halt. I remember going home in the subway that night. People couldn't look at each other. It was mm. terrible. Yeah, no, I know. So what? Uh, let me ask you this. The beautiful Rosemary and uh, your son, Sean, saw great pictures of all you guys. I guess Aaron is probably still in North Carolina, but what is the King family doing tomorrow? Well, actually, Aaron has made it up here. And nice. Aaron come up with her husband, her daughter. Jack was already here. By the way, Jack is wearing his Joseph Abood suit today. He's interviewing for some jobs in Manhattan. So is that right? Well, by the way, Jack oh, yeah. happens to be Peter King's grandson, and he is a great kid. Great kid. Uh, Aaron also arrived there with four dogs, which is just crazy. We have four dogs running around the house. We're all going to be here for, you know, for dinner tomorrow night. Last night, Aaron and I and Rosemary went out to dinner with uh, Bruce Blakeman and his wife, Seagal. Another annoying thing about you, Sid, people coming over to the table telling me and Bruce they hear us on Sid Rosenberg. Uh, here's the guy, county executive, one of the largest counties in the country, and he's known because he's on your show, so yeah, I don't know. I love that. Uh, did you go to my friend Rosaria's place at King Umberto's? Uh, that was great. Last Saturday night, yeah, uh, Jack and Rosemary and I went to uh, King Umberto's, Elmont, Rosario. He's asking for you. He wants you back there. We want to come. It's, it's a great place. It really is. It is. And that night was fun because it was not only you, Rosemary, and Melissa, but we had Joe Cairo and Anthony D'Esposito. D'Esposito. Was... Yeah. He's doing a great job. Anthony has a resolution in Congress denouncing that from the river to the sea. He wants it officially condemned. Yep. Not censored, but condemned as a hate song, which it is. And the, and the woman to leave who pushes it around, I tell you. Oh, by the way, I did follow your advice on one thing. I watched Getting Gotti. Jack and I watched, uh, watched Getting think? Gotti. I think it was really well done. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, I've i known some of those mob guys back when I was practicing. Well, I didn't know Gotti at all. Uh, and it, it really sort of brought up that two sides where they can be very personable, uh, out front, cordial, right. and behind the scenes, they're killing and they're butchering right. people. Right, right. It's like a whole schizophrenic existence. And also, that, that recaptured in time. 
not so I'm comparing it to Kennedy, but John Gotti was a folk hero of New York. It's impossible to believe now. I mean, all these celebrities wanted to be seen with him. He's out in the street, and people are chasing him with oh, cameras. Huge. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I mean, Peter, he used to put on a uh, fireworks show on Howard Beach on July 4th, and everybody loved him. You know, he'd go to Regine's, which was a very popular nightclub. He'd buy people drinks. Everybody loved him. And um, and that was an era, you're right, mid-1980s, that we'll never get back. I want to wish uh, you and your beautiful family a happy Thanksgiving. And really, Peter, on a serious note, I am very thankful for you. You mean a lot to me personally and this radio show. So God bless you. Enjoy the holiday. We'll do it again next week. Uh, you and Danielle, really. Happy Thanksgiving. You're the man. I love you, Peter. Thank you. I'm talking about John F. Kennedy. I, I think that the um, the southern border is an open. Oh, no, that's bleeding. the Kennedy from Louisiana. Um, Lewis, there is your Justin Ellick moment. I asked for Kennedy, and he plays a guy from Louisiana. Well, what number did you say, dude? Well, I didn't say any number. Maybe I gave you the wrong number. Yeah. I want number 17. I'm sorry. (laughs) And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. Now, you know I love Natalie Merchant, and we've got a young lady who will join me in studio in about 15 minutes. Her name is Natalie Sanandaji. She just got here. She's been everywhere. She's been on Newsmax, other radio shows, Lizzie Savetsky's podcast. But you know what I say? You've done nothing in media till you've been with me. The rest is filler. So she's all excited, and uh, she'll join me coming up in about 15 minutes. Natalie Merchant. Coming up in 15 minutes, Natalie Sanandaji. So tomorrow is Thanksgiving, but we've got a huge weekend coming up in our neighborhood, Lou, because every year my dear friend, the great attorney Joe Murray, puts on uh, quite a show. He's got a beautiful home in the Ponset. Nobody does the Christmas decorations and even Hanukkah, too, and all that stuff uh, like Joe. And he puts on this major event, Little North Pole, Last year, I helped uh, host it with Joe Causey and Stephen Van Zandt, whose birthday is today. Happy 73rd birthday, Stevie, and the mayor, and a whole bunch of people show up, a whole bunch of musical acts. It's an unbelievable time. But more importantly, Joe spends not just that day, which is this Saturday, but about a week to 10 days raising money for really important charities, juvenile diabetes, autism, and 
Hopefully somewhere down the road, this proxy for my son. He's just a good man. Everybody in the Ponset and Rockaway loves him. And, yes, this Saturday is the annual Little North Pole Bash. Here he is, Curtis Sliwa's new buddy, Joe Murray. Good morning, Joseph. Good morning, Sid. How are you, sir? I'm, uh, I'm doing okay. Did you ever think you'd be introduced on any radio show as Curtis Sliwa's buddy? No, never. <laughs> However, we have made amends, and things are working out well. Well, I mean, part of the reason for that is is that um, all the um, rallies and, and uh, even that really, really big uh, talk session we had at the um, the Columbus Foundation in Queens, um, the town hall, you show up for everything. You are a concerned citizen. You care. And at least in that respect, you and Curtis and me, for that matter, we can all appreciate what's going on. Thank you, Sid. I do the best I can. We're out there working very hard. And uh, this Saturday, we actually uh, are lighting up the Little North Pole. It's a great event. If anyone wants to come out and join us, you'll have the time of your life. Remember, Sid, there's two reasons why we light up this Little North Pole. One, to put a smile on every single child's face and give them a memory of the holiday season that we know will last the rest of their lives. And then two, to help a special group of children that actually need our help. And throughout the years, we've raised a tremendous amount of money for the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. And there's no question in my mind, over at the Little North Pole, we've made a difference in many, many children's lives that live with diabetes. Oh, there's Research no question. getting better. Yeah. Listen, said you were out there last year. Yep. What do you think? You were an adult. How do you feel being out there? Well, I, thought, I, I, I thought it was unbelievable. You know, listen, I had never been there before. I had heard about it, you know, my uh, my neighbor Joe Ferrante, Joe Maria Ferrante, how great it is, and Billy and Jackie next door uh, telling me, uh, you know, uh, how Billy Felton, how great it is. I'd never seen it. I had no idea what to expect. And me and Danielle and Gaby walked literally about eight blocks, ended up in front of your house, which is just an unbelievable spectacle, to your credit. And then the show that went on was, was something you, you couldn't see that on television, and then, like you said, all these little kids, and day after day, even when the big show was over Saturday, these kids still come to your house. You still do daily events, raising money. Over a seven-day period, Joe Murray, it is nothing less than spectacular. So this year, thank you, Sid, this year we're actually raising money not only for the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, but for two other diseases. We got this blood cancer research. We got this Williams syndrome, and, and they're both terrible diseases. Uh, if you come out to the Little North Pole, you're going to meet Little Rocco and Siobhan. These are two heroes. Both of these children have gone through hundreds of chemo treatments, too many days in the emergency room. Both will be on hand. Both will have smiles on their faces, and both are willing to meet everyone that comes out to see them. Then you get this little kid, Anthony. He's got this Williams syndrome. He's missing chromosome number seven. His arteries, his blood vessels actually narrow. It's terrible. They begin to close on them. You know, and then after Saturday's event, Monday morning, we host hundreds of autistic and special need kids. Monday night, we have the Special Olympic kids, kids living with Down syndrome. And then on Wednesday night, we're actually hosting an event for the foster kids of the city of New York. You know, I said, I want you out there with us. I want you to experience what I experience. I want you to see the smiles on these kids' faces. But it's not only the children, it's the adults. And, and, and we got so many special friends that have come out year after year to actually help us. People that live in a neighborhood like Richie Keene or Angelo Garino, Tony O, Angelo, Ed, Kevin, Brett, Bert, 
Frankie, Anthony Shorts, Johnny Lights, my girl Jody, Juliana, Muggsy, Santa Claus himself. They got so many agencies like Call Ahead, Jets Towing, Mike Stages, the Grey Beards, the Kiwanis, and then, of course, Joe Corsi, Goomba Johnny. And I'm hoping you're going to be out there with us, Sid. I'm hoping you're going to be out there with us this year helping to celebrate the holidays. And then when we finish all this, we're going to do first night of Hanukkah over at the house. We're going to have kosher jelly donuts. We're going to have kosher wine. We're going to have Hanukkah music blasting. And we're going to get out there and enjoy the holidays and have a special prayer for everything that's going on right now in Israel. Yeah, no, I I went to your house last year. You've got that uh, beautiful outdoor menorah on the grass and uh, I actually was there. We did the Hanukkah blessings, had some wine. It was very nice. Uh, so I was there for that, and I was there last year for the big party, and I'll be there coming up this Saturday for sure. Uh, the other thing that really surprised me about the party was it was like almost like a, a miniature San Gennaro feast. What I mean by that is you have the house, you've got this huge stage set up, which is fantastic, and then you've got uh, trucks. And every local restaurant, from my guy Vinny's place is uh, Rocco's, to, uh, you know, to steak places, to Mexican food, to, you know, more Italian food, Jola Sorrentino. Uh, all these local restaurants are on site, and you can get you know, a cheesesteak. It's amazing. The greatest thing is that everything is donated for our event. They understand exactly what's going on, why we're doing it, and every single penny we raise goes directly out to the charities. There's no expenses involved. So now you got you got restaurants like Vetro or Mateo's or Rocco, Rocco, Rocco's of, Howard, of, of, of Rockway Beach and Panini Baya, and you got Lucy's Sausage, and you got Fort Meat, A&S Pork Store, Wits End, you got Madeline Chocolate, you got Brothers Raviolis, you got Bagel Barista. They're all out there. They're all helping us. They're all giving us food. They're all part of the event. It's a community event. It's a great event. It's for children and adults. And then the show goes on. And we have a fantastic show again planned for this year. We have local artists. We got people that have hit songs on the radio back in the 70s and 80s. And they come out, they dedicate their time, and they do it for the children. And that's what this is all about. So, Joe, for folks that uh, don't live in our neighborhood, again, you're walking distance from my house and all the neighbors, whether it's uh, Bell Harbor and the ponds at Rockaway Beach, they own Howard Beach, even even at the Mill Basin, Brooklyn, they know about it. But for folks who may want to travel a distance and don't have all the details, how do they find out more about this great event Saturday, the Little North Pole? There's two ways to find out. One, you can go to www.littlenorthpole.org. Or you come out to 144th Street in the Ponset Avenue, be part of the celebration. There's a donation box outside the house. That box will be there to the end of the year. We take donations each and every day. We have a number of events going on. Uh, Santa Claus will be on, be on hand. There'll be toys given to every single kid that actually show up at the house for each of these events. And it's so important to us to actually help the other children that need our help. And just to remind folks, uh, there's no personal invites. You can drive in from anywhere and uh, watch the show, get some food, and be part of the fun, right? That's correct. Everyone is invited. Everyone could join in. You don't have to spend any money on anything. Everything's out there, okay? But if you want some food, you want to give us a donation, we accept it. It all goes right to the charities. Joe Murray, I just got a text from Heshi Organbaum, who is a, um, well, he's a, basically a rabbi. He's a very, very sweet, terrific man. And he said, quote, this guy is an angel. Well, how about that, Joe Murray? 
That's when you know it. you made it. <laughs> I love it. I would love to see him come out to the Little North Pole. He can come after Shabbos. Obviously, it's a Saturday, but uh, after Shabbos on Saturday night, I think he lives in Borough Park. Why not? Uh, either way, Joe, on a serious note, we won the last year. It was an unbelievable event. Uh, the charity is really what uh, struck us. But in terms of just a good time and the Christmas and Hanukkah spirit and festivities, it's as good as it gets. It is the best Christmas party I've ever been to. So we'll be there on Saturday, uh, ready to uh, rock and roll. And thank you so much for all you do for the kids and for our whole community. Thank you. Thank you, Sid. Thank you for everything that you do. Thank you, Joe. really doing a great job over there on that radio. Thank you, my man. There he is. Great great attorney, Joe Murray. Personal friend, great attorney, and the man responsible for the Little North Pole celebration, which comes your way this Saturday, Little North Pole 2023. We're going to take a short break when we get back. Talked about this all morning long. She's one of the lucky ones. She survived that music festival where over 260 people were murdered on that October 7th morning. Thank God she did. 28-year-old Natalie Sanandaji will be live in studio. This promises to be a very emotional conversation. Natalie, with Natalie Merchant playing in the background, coming up next. In the morning, 77 WABC. Somewhere deep inside, something's got to hold on you. And it's pushing me aside, see it stretch on forever. And I know I'm right For the first time in my life That's why I tell you You better be home soon Stripping back the coats The lies and deception All right, 932 Again, reminding folks, this is uh, my last show, our last show, till Monday. We'll be off tomorrow for Thanksgiving and off for Friday, which I still call Thanksgiving. I don't buy into that Black Friday nonsense. And then uh, I'll be out next Thursday and Friday, too. And it's none of your business why. And then I'll be off the whole week of Christmas. So what I'm basically telling you is, for a guy that never takes off, I never take off. The next five weeks, I'm taking off a lot. <laughs> Uh, and tomorrow is one of my favorite holidays. I'll be in New City, New York, up in Rockland County. My niece Tamara, my nephew Lorne, my mom's going to be there, my sisters and brother-in-laws and nephews and nieces. In fact, uh, the last time 
I celebrated Thanksgiving at Tamara's house. Was the last time I saw my father. You know that, Lewin, uh, Justin? I went to Tamara's house in 2020 for Thanksgiving. It was actually 2019, I stand corrected. And I saw my dad. And there's pictures of me and my dad eating together. You remember that picture? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he got very, very sick, and he died six months later. And that right. prick, Andrew Cuomo, wouldn't let me go see him. Screw that mother ever. Screw that guy. Right. So that was the last time I saw my dad. Thanksgiving Day at Tamara's house. Have not been back since. We'll be there tomorrow. I know the story well. Very emotional day. Yeah, I'm talking about emotional. Look, look at this uh, beautiful young girl I've got in the studio right now. She's uh, 28 years old. Her name is Natalie Sanandaji, I think. Did I say it correctly? Yes. I did, okay. And uh, Natalie is back in New York after surviving, and that's the right word, the music festival on that Saturday morning, October the 7th in Israel, where 260 people died and a lot of young, beautiful people like Natalie. I mean, I think for me, the face of that whole thing was uh, Shani Luke. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you knew her personally, if you were dancing anywhere near her. Actually, um, my friend who just got married about a week before all of this happened, Shawnee Luke was one of her best friends and was at her wedding. Oh, my God. Did you see her at all during that day? No. Tell me about that day. You know, I grew up, um, I have two older sisters, and they went to Woodstock. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, that was a two-day event. And it was just about music and love, and everybody was happy. And I'm told that this music festival in Israel, years and years later, obviously, kind of mirrored Woodstock. Is that is that a fair comparison? Yeah, it's actually funny. That's a comparison that I've made myself in a lot of my speeches. Really? Um, I'll talk a little bit about why. So out of all the like electronic music subgenres that there are, Psytrance, I would say, is one of the smaller communities. What do you call this? Psytrance. Oh, what the hell is that? That's the type of music that uh, oh. was at the Nova Oh, Festival. so it wasn't the Grateful Dead or... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so is that like house music? Or... Yes. So it's a okay. subgenre. There's like techno. Um, there's all different types of subgenres. There's tech house and then there's Psytrance. And okay. I would say the community, the type of people who go to Psytrance events are very hippie-ish. And that's why I would, com- I would compare them a lot to Woodstock. Yeah. It's because the type of people that go to these events are just... The most loving, kind-hearted, sweetest, most pure people. And there's a lot of irony in the fact that they were the ones that were attacked. Yeah. I guess you would just, um, I guess, uh, throw out the weed for the Molly uh, in comparing Woodstock to uh, your event. (laughs) I would say there's a lot of weed at Psytrance festivals as well, yes. Is Is weed legal in Israel? I don't even know. I don't even know. Well, it was legal those days. so. (laughs) So when do you show up for that event? Um, me and my three friends that I came with, we showed up at 1 a.m. On Saturday morning? Yeah. Okay. And when did it actually start? I think it started around 10 p.m. Friday night. Friday night. Yeah. And, and how many friends did you actually go with? So I arrived with three friends, all Israelis, and then we met up there with about 15 or 20 of their other friends. And how far from the festival were you staying? How long was your trip? So I think... It was about two hour drive. Oh wow, it's far. Yeah, and then but once you get to the festival, you you set up your campsite, and the campsites are surrounding the dance floor, so you can like when you're on your campsite, you can still hear the music. So there's like a big stage in the middle. Yeah, and then uh, kind of like Woodstock, that big grassy field. You guys set up tents. But instead of a grassy field, we have 
sandy dirt. Is that what it's it, it looked that way? When it was, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Israel. We don't really have good grassy fields. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you had sandy dirt, and you set up camps yeah. and tents. And how many people would you estimate were actually there for this event? I would say between two to three thousand. Two to three thousand around around there. Okay, that's what I would say, uh, even yeah. when the attack started, that many? Yeah. Okay, because I was under the impression that almost everybody died. Of course, that's not the case. <laughs> no. All right, so so take me now. You get there about one o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. right? And uh, what time is it when you start to hear stuff that's not music? So we arrive at around one, and we dance for about two hours till about three, three thirty. And then me and my three friends decided to go back to the campsite and rest. We were a little tired, I guess, from the drive and just from the whole week in general. There were a lot of holidays that week. And we decided to go rest for a few hours and wake up refreshed for the sunrise set. So so tell me again, how how far is that camp set again from the actual stage? Probably like a two-minute walk. Two-minute walk. That's it. Okay, you're close. So, um, So, yeah, you can still hear the music. You can still see the people dancing like from your campsite. So we we go to take a rest for a few hours, and we said, like, we're going to wake up for the sunrise set, which is generally the most exciting part of any festival. It's when the best DJs tend to go on. And we're sleeping, and at around 6.30, one of the girls from our campsite came back from the dance floor because she knew we were sleeping, and she wanted to make sure we were alert to what was happening, alert to the situation. She was able to escape leave the stage area and get back to your camp, and she was alive and well. Yes. And she said to you exactly what? She woke us up, and with a big smile on her face, she said, Good morning, guys. I just want you guys to know what's happening. I want you to be alert. A few rockets have been sent our way, intercepted overhead. But it's fine. It's normal for the area that we're in. It'll probably just be a few, and the party will probably okay. continue. So, so, so you were not under attack yet. The guys were not there who came in by hang gliders and drove in. This was just the rockets overhead. Yes. Okay. So at this point, it was just the rockets, and everyone thought the party would continue. But I want you to imagine a festival happening anywhere else in the world where kids react in such a calm manner to rockets being intercepted over their heads yeah, and yeah. thinking like, oh, we're going to continue partying. Well, you were high. That, <laughs> actually, I, I was completely sober. No, no, I, no, I was sleeping. Course, right, right, right. But, but um, that simply wouldn't happen. No, of course not. But for I, Israeli I'd be yelling kids, and screaming and crying. I, I wouldn't even if, know what to do. Imagine Coachella. Like all these kids would be screaming and crying, right. peeing their pants. Like right. they they'd be freaking out. But for Israeli kids, this is the reality. If Israelis completely stopped their day every time a few rockets were sent their way, they would get nothing done. Right. This happens right. on a semi-regular basis. So. At first, we thought, like, maybe it really just will be a few, because at the end of the day, we were by the Gaza border, and this is something that happens. How close How close to the Gaza border was that uh, campsite? In regards to feet? If you're driving, how long would it take you? I think maybe, like, ten minutes. Ten minutes, you're right there. Something Oof. like that. Right there, yeah. Um, And a lot of people asked, like, when I knew that it was so close, was I not nervous to go uh, to this party? And there's a few things I'd like to point out that, first of all, with festivals like this in Israel, you usually don't receive the location until a few hours before the party starts. That's all about security, right? Yeah. Yeah. So at this point, like it's already a few hours before. You're not going to not go to a party. And secondly, people need to realize Israel is surrounded by enemies. So the day before the party, I went up to the north and I went hiking Am I not going to go to the north because it's near enemies? No, like, no you're yeah. going to live your life. You're going to go you, about your day. What do your parents say? I mean, you're still young. You're in your 20s. 
Were your parents nervous or they're like, you know, nah, they're just used to this type of stuff. My mom was born and raised in Israel. So yeah. for her, she's like, she encourages me to go to Israel every year. She encourages me to explore. Right. My mom in elementary school had to hide under her desk because they were being bombed and glass flew in her eye. You know, this is stuff <laughs> she grew up with. <laughs> and for my mom, it's like you can't live your life in fear all the time. You can't not experience life. Well, I agree. That's what they want, right? That's when the terrorists win. Yeah. So how long after your friend comes in? And it's just rockets. And she says, good morning, guys, blah, blah, blah. Do you all of a sudden come to the realization there are men on the ground here to kill us? So that that took a little bit of time. So from the moment she woke us up, we we stood up. We're just looking up at the sky. We're seeing the rockets being intercepted. And after about maybe five minutes, we realized that this isn't just any other ordinary situation, that this is worse than that, because it wasn't just five or seven rockets. It was 10, 15, 20. They just kept coming. And then eventually the festival security shuts off the music and announces on the loudspeakers for everyone to please pack up their campsite and evacuate to their car. Now, at that point, are you nervous? Are you still like, okay, it's it's not great, but I'll be okay? So... I'll say personally, for me, from the moment she woke me up, I think my body went into an automatic state of shock and disassociation. Mm. And I never understood before this what an out-of-body experience felt like until this happened because it felt very much out-of-body. It felt as if my mind and body was trying to protect itself from the intensity it was feeling. Yeah. And it made, it was out-of-body in the sense that I didn't want to believe it was happening to me. Right. It felt like I was watching it right, happen to right. me. So stick with that. So now the rockets are firing. Yes. You've got this out-of-body experience. The guys on the ground who killed some people you even knew that day aren't there yet, but they're coming. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. Paul Young, every time I go away from the great movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, that last Thanksgiving Day scene. Very good, Lewis, with Steve Martin and uh, John Candy. Back here with the very brave Natalie Sanandaji, who was once again at the music festival that morning, October the 7th, that horrible morning. Uh, she's talked to us about how she was warned by her friend. She was sleeping back at the camp. A very quick walk to the stage. That the rockets were overhead. And then now take me to the part where you actually find out there are men on the ground there to kill you. So we evacuate to our cars and we start driving out. And eventually, after a few minutes, the festival security starts yelling at everybody to please pull their cars over to the side of the road and get out of their cars and start running. And at this point, we can't understand why they would ask us to do such a thing. Why would they tell us to run from rockets? But we listen to them because we know that they're just trying to help us. And we pull our car over, and that's when we hear the first gunshots. And as soon as we hear the first gunshots, we open our doors and we start to run. And try to imagine this festival took place in an open field. There's not many places to hide. Kids are running in every direction possible. One of the most terrifying things was running in a certain direction, thinking that you're running to safety, and then suddenly seeing dozens of kids from the group that first left, because there were like... There was like the first group that left. We were kind of in this middle group. And then there was the last group. And you suddenly see dozens of kids running in your direction. And you realize that they're being pursued and they're being shot at. And you now have to make a split second decision and change directions in order to save your life. And a lot of people asked me, how did you know what decisions to make? How did you know what decision was going to get you killed or save your life? And I spoke to someone a few weeks ago who interviewed a lot of Holocaust survivors. And he said that when they were asked... 
how they knew what decision to make in a life and death decision, in a life and death situation. They coined a phrase. They called it choiceless choices. And it's a choice where in a moment you simply have to make a choice. You don't know which choice is going to be the right one. We have to make a choice. And I think that perfectly describes every decision we made while running from the Hamas terrorists. Wow. And how did you eventually get away from Because a lot of folks ran, and they ran into bomb shelters, mm-hmm. which they blew up. They took the pretty girls for, quote, unquote, rape and blew up the rest of the people with hand grenades. How'd you, how were you able to get off the grounds and to complete safety? Because so, they, they had guys in cars waiting for you, didn't yeah. they? So, so that's the thing. A lot of people asked if I survived because I was one of the first people to leave. And the answer is no, because that first group that left right in the beginning, most of them were killed because the Hamas terrorists were waiting for them. I was in this middle group where I think most of the survivors came from that middle group. And then the last group, the ones that like stayed back at the festival grounds, they were also mostly killed because the Hamas terrorists came for them as well. Did you see any uh, people killed? Did you see the actual Hamas guys? Or were you were you spared of all of that? I was spared of most of that. I Like I said, I saw those kids being shot down, but they were like running from down a hill and I was kind of above them. Yeah. Um, so I saw them from a distance. I always tell people if I saw the Hamas terrorists up close and personal, I probably wouldn't be here today speaking to you. Well, I know it would be a horrible thing. Thank God you didn't. And thank God uh, you are here today speaking to me because, uh, first of all, this is a great conversation. And you're courageous and brave and a young lady and beautiful. I've got a daughter not much younger than you. And I couldn't even imagine what you guys were going through those uh, those days and uh, those days since which I'm sure, uh, do you wake up ever in the middle of the night and just start sweating or you hear those rockets or hear the kids screaming or how's that gone for you since you've left? I think the only time I have kind of like a PTSD reaction is anytime I hear a very loud noise that resembles the rockets being intercepted, I kind of like panic for a second. Yeah. Um, I was also in a bathroom at one point at a restaurant and they were playing a song and an alarm went off. And my automatic reaction was like, oh, my God, I have to get out of this bathroom and go into a bomb shelter. And then I just I occurred to me that's just a song and that oh I'm no God. longer in Israel. I'm sorry. Tell me about this group, Cam, that uh, you work with now every day. So I started working um, since this happened, since I've come back uh, to the States for the combat anti-Semitism movement. And what they do is um, they set up summits um, to meet with world leaders and to talk about anti-Semitism all over the world and how we can fight it. And the work that they are doing is especially important right now because since coming back from Israel and since surviving the Hamas terrorist attack, I have honestly felt less safe here than I felt at any point in Israel with all of the attacks that are happening here, especially in New York. New York is the place where I grew up, where I called home my entire life. And suddenly I see my friends feeling unsafe here, hiding their Jewish star necklaces, taking the mezuzahs off their doors, which yeah. is a prayer school that's supposed to protect your home. And they're taking them off in order to protect their home from being targeted. And it's just so sad to see what's happening here you, and what's you unfolding. Know what she just said she was at the music festival when nearly 300 people were murdered, assassinated. She comes back to New York and feels less safe. I mean, I wish I can get this tape to the mayor, Eric Adams, or the governor, Kathy Hochul, because people say that all the time, and they mm-hmm. lamp it off. Oh, that's your perception. But you're right. I've told kids, don't take your yarmulkes off. Don't take your Jewish stars Because it's off. like letting them win. They've won. Exactly. Well, listen, in the last minute, there are some people that think that this hostage swap, and they love Israeli people, they understand we value each life to a certain extent, they won there. Mm-hmm. Do you understand that? Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. 
with these hostage hostage swaps, it's upsetting to know that we're letting out people who are a threat and who are dangerous. But at the end of the day, that's the core of Judaism is that we care so much about every single Jewish life. And it does give hope that we're going to get some of them back. But at the end of the day, it doesn't end. It doesn't end there because we want all of them back. Right. Hopefully we get them all back. What are you doing for Thanksgiving on a lighter note? Um, tonight I'm doing a Friendsgiving and then tomorrow I'll probably just do something with my parents, something Good. small, quiet. Good. I, I miss you have being a lot with to them. Be thankful for, if you yes. think of, I mean, right. Yes. You really do. I have a lot to be thankful for. I've, yeah. I've been given a second chance at life. Good for you. You are, you're great. Please keep coming back. And, Thank um, you. you know, you become a very important voice. All of my friends that, uh, speak every day, uh, at, uh, different universities, at places on the internet, they all know you. And uh, they appreciate what you do. So thank you so thank much. You. Natalie, San, and Daji, folks, we are done. I'm out of here. I'll be back with my crew on Monday. Lou Rafino, happy Thanksgiving. I'm thankful for you. I love you. Justin Ellick, happy Thanksgiving. I'm thankful for you. I love you, too. Noam Layden, happy Thanksgiving. I'm thankful for you. I love you, too. John, Margot, Chad, everybody. The whole listening audience, have a happy and a healthy Thanksgiving. God willing, as my friend Gene would say, I'll be back at 6 o'clock for a Monday morning show. Until then, from all of us, including Natalie, to all of you, peace! have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.